Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to the weekly Secrets of Saturn livestream. I am Jason Lindgren, your host. A couple things I want to touch on before we get into the meat of the matter, which is going to be on Transposing the Mind, written by none other than our previous guest, Mark Bloom, who is joining us again. Also, of course, we have Wayne McCroy, Crow777, and the great Baldini. Poof, he did a magic trick. So, let's address a couple things uh, before we get going here. The uh, the weird YouTube thing. So I tried to deal with that today to make sure that it, the, the weird double link thing didn't happen. And indeed, it didn't happen. I started a completely new session, didn't reuse anything. Everything looked great. Went into my YouTube studio, only showed the one that I put out everywhere. Lo and behold, after I actually kicked Restream on to begin the stream, it duplicated it again, to, not to my knowledge. So... It's something outside of my control now I know, but I don't know which one of these programs is duplicating it, whether it's YouTube itself being a little janky or if Restream's doing something weird. I don't know that yet because I wasn't expecting it to happen again. But anyway, at least I know that there's something going on that's not just my stupidity, which is nice to know. You know, you want to know these things. But anyway, I won't uh, pontificate on that anymore. Uh, anybody want to say any opening remarks before we get to that first article situation that you brought up, Baldini? No, I'm good. All right. So if everyone is on a computer, which I'm, I'm assuming you are of some sort, uh, <laughs> uh, go Can to... Can you spell that for us? T-Y-P-E. <laughs> uh, um, um, All right. So go to Google, then go to news. Under news, type in mass shootings surge. And we'll look at what you get, because this is this is you want to see some serious poppycock. This is some serious yeah. poppycock. <laughs> and we want confirmation of this from people um, around the world, <laughs> across the world, uh, and uh, so it doesn't really matter the, the where you're from. You'll get uh, ultimately, yeah, end up with all 50 states. Um, this morning I had 15 identical results. Uh, this evening I got six, seven, uh, right in a row. Each of them pretending to be a local news outlet. Uh, for example, Tennessee Democrat, Tallahassee Democrat for Florida, Milwaukee Journal Sentinel for Wisconsin, Tennessean for Tennessee, Akron Beacon Journal for Ohio, uh, Elwood City Ledger for Pennsylvania. Uh, they all claim, uh, and they again pretending to be a local news outlet, the claim is mass shooting surge in, insert state here, as nation faces record high. Identical headline in each one and pretty much an identical story in each one, each claiming 47% surge. Um, I covered this, uh, in fact, uh, did this morning. Uh, this, uh, for those who visited for uh, a special edition of Cocky Pop, <laughs> was this a uh, very specific um, uh, topic. And so I just dropped that link in the chat if you want to go back and visit that. Just uh, It wasn't a full episode. Just had to visit this uh, real quick because uh, pretty remarkable. And interestingly enough, it was um, I got hip to the tip from a completely blue-pilled normie friend of mine who approached me uh, yesterday and said, Hey, uh, you're the conspiracy guy. <laughs> What's up with this? And I went, well, now you're starting to get it. He went, what? <laughs> so he should have said, now you know why they invented poppies and male male chickens, <laughs> right? Uh, exactly. So, uh, pretty pretty remarkable stuff. And if you had any question uh, about whether you could trust um, anything that you read in uh, the, the newspaper or the uh, online <laughs> quote news from quote, authoritative news sources, think again, uh, to quote Mark Twain, <coughs> uh, AKA <laughs> Samuel Clemens. Uh, if you read the newspaper, if you don't read the newspaper, you're uninformed. If you do, you are misinformed. Uh, there you go. 
But Baldini, why would they lie? Why? But why? Would they lie? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, uh, seven and a half billion reasons, according to them. Yeah, um, yeah, just exactly. Just like the uh, insert number here, new cases um, that was uh, had appeared for a while. If you would type in any three-digit number and new cases, uh, you would get a local news report somewhere claiming uh, that many uh, new COVID cases uh, in uh, in their location. So it's uh, again pr pretty remarkable. In fact, you can still do it right now. I'd put in one, two, three new cases, and I get um, seven in a row. Uh, new cases reported in um, Cypher ISD, uh, deaths in Monroe County, new cases in Monroe County, new cases in uh, past week in Naperville, uh, new cases in Vermont. <laughs> so you can still play the same game if you like. I can put in like 345 <laughs> new cases. Any reports, 345 new cases, 345 new cases of COVID-19, one patient dies, UK reports, 345 deaths. Um, so, yeah, you can put in whatever number you want, and and uh, you'll get a return for that. Uh, it's poppycock. It is, Gregory uh, May, a fun little game, uh, mm -hmm. as, long as, as long as you're <laughs> on this side of um, – <laughs> Of the wall. It would be very frustrating if you were uh, trying to uh, defend your position as everything is just as they tell you. <laughs> I, I think somebody better quote Clooney here. Go ahead. <laughs> it's a tight spot, fellas. <laughs> we're in a tight spot. <laughs> it's a, isn't this a geographical oddity? Everything's two weeks away. Well, here I thought you were going to say, <laughs> well, I'm going to accept this ward on behalf of everyone. Oh, yeah. No, I was going uh, <laughs> to. Yeah, it's a geographical auto idea that uh, two weeks turned into a year, didn't it? Two weeks to flatten that curve turned into a, a year this week. Uh, well, I, I don't know if we flattened it yet. <laughs> All right. I don't want FOP. God damn it. I'm a yeah, Dapper right. Dan man. <laughs> I'm a Dapper Dan man. Dick a dirt, dirt, dirt. To the right pomade there, my friend. He's bona fide. Uh, you want to introduce our, our guest, our returning guest this week, Jason? <laughs> yep. So, yep. Well, as I said at the beginning here, we, we have Mark Bloom coming back with us. Mark, uh, what do you yeah. want to tell everybody? that like we, we brought you back on because uh, the first one you did with us went over really, really well. I definitely – I, I kind of knew that was going to happen, I should say, because people really dig music in general as a topic because – pretty much everyone is into music in some way, shape, or form, right? Like, it's, it touches them and it means something to them. Even if it was when they were younger, it's it's still just about everyone. It's a significant thing, too. But what do you what do you want to tell everybody to key this up? Uh, this one um, is a little bit different. It does involve music, but in a kind of... Um, I, the idea basically came from... Um, I watched an interview. Uh, Beth Martins interviewed... Uh, Jerry Marzinski about um, he, he was a he, he worked in a, a with schizophrenic people and people with psychosis and like someone in my family from before before my time before I was born had schizophrenia and I've heard the stories about it over um, many years so something in that interview kind of sparked a, um, an idea because Jerry Marzinski was implying that the uh, medical industry doesn't understand what causes schizophrenia or um, psychosis and that it's what they do know is that it's not in, intrinsic to the person who's suffering from it it's external to them so the chemicals that they're given people um, he's alleging is just to numb the effect to like dull the signal essentially 
and he's explaining it in a way that it's almost like interference from outside um, and through his own observations and working with people and his own experiences, his own personal experiences with this, he was explaining that it's like an outside source. Um, and I, w- I actually had a conversation in that live chat at the time with Sue Finelli about the idea of um, thoughts and ideas being planted in people's heads because some people in a live chat were talking about how they felt that they had had like thoughts and ideas planted in their own heads that weren't theirs. It was almost from an external source. And I found this fascinating. So because I have lucid dreams, I think I mentioned last time, and I'd been sort of doing what Baldini does a lot with um, sort of pontificating what, um, the, what the nature of that could be and how that might function. So coincidentally or perhaps not coincidentally that night i went to sleep i had a lucid dream i woke up from it and my brain was sort of sifting through all my mind was sifting through all this information as soon as i woke up and this was early hours of the morning and then i sort of organized the information in my head and then i went back to sleep woke up the next day it was all still there so i decided i'm gonna write all of this down type it up i sent it through to um red fox and baldini and the both of them read it and wanted to present it and red fox went live first and then afterwards the both of them went live together on red fox's channel and now that channel doesn't exist so at the time red fox had a small audience but the people who were there it seemed to resonate with them so i thought now because it's been almost maybe it's almost been a year. It was not too long after we went into a lockdown that yep. this happened. This was basically how I introduced myself to Baldini was through this document. <laughs> and then because the, it doesn't exist anymore, that um, the, the original uploads, I thought it might be worth offering it to you, Baldini, again on your channel, um, just to see how it goes over with your audience. <laughs> I think I think they'll like it. The premise is um, certainly fascinating uh, and applies to a wide variety uh, of aspects as we look at the world around us. Of course, um, initially, uh, the document being called Transposition looks at it from a musical aspect, but uh, there is so much so much more to that. Uh, and so, uh, again, yeah, Red and I found, both found it uh, fascinating, and uh, I invited Mark to, to be on it. It was his first time uh, being on any channel, I think, at the time. And then yeah. uh, Red <laughs> contacted me, and I would had Red on my channel, and he said, is it okay if I put it up first? And I'm like, yeah, just, I mean, you get it out there. Uh, so he did and did a great job um, kind of doing a dramatic reading of it. Uh, but Red has uh, kind of gone underground for a while. and um, It's hibernating. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's in hibernation season right now. So uh, in any case, yeah. Um, so we thought, yeah, it'd be great to have Mark present these ideas uh, and then kind of expound on um, how it how it can apply in uh, a multifaceted way as we begin, um, you know, to touch back again to these ideas of, uh, you know, frequency, vibration, uh, harmonic resonance, um, even morphic resonance, if you want to get that far uh, to, into these ideas as it uh, as it goes from simply waves uh, and wave propagation into um, or, organic life and materials and how it can affect uh, and, um, you know, uh, have an influence on on that. So uh, I guess with that, uh, I'll just hand it hand it back to you, Mark. Oh, um, I should say, I, forgot, I don't know if I did say this a moment ago, but I'll say in advance just so people don't, I don't know, flip out or anything. It's um, This is a thought experiment. This was before I was fully introduced to 
what's going on here with people truth seeking and all this business. This was uh, my sort of first run at it, so it wasn't intended as a, um, a proper study. I don't have reference material or apart from uh, I mentioned Jerry Mozinski, and I think in the document itself I do sort of refer to a book um, called 30 Years Among the Dead. Um, but that's just a loose reference. But this is it's basically a thought experiment in which I tried to frame uh, the functions of how thought might work um, when considering what Jerry Mozinski said about some uh, sources of thought can come from external to us um, or be planted. And then the idea of dreams um, plays into it where most people are probably familiar or everyone really uh, with dreams sometimes it might seem that there's something in that dream or a, a, an individual who seems to be behaving autonomously so I thought it kind of links in with that idea with what Jerry Mozinski was saying so I tried to frame that in a way I could understand and because I'm a musician uh, I'm not excellent at music theory but one thing I did remember was transposition and when I thought about the concept of transposition I thought that kind of fits this concept of thought <laughs> so i decided to write this out in that framework and, all right uh, so J jason do you want to read this as you typically do because you're yeah. the guy yep, all absolutely. right yeah. <laughs> let me <laughs> put on my voiceover voice there you go and we can stop and hit the hit the uh, salient points when those uh, occur in musical terms, transportation, trans, trans, <laughs> let's try that all over again. <laughs> transportation, train spotting. professionalism on display. In musical terms, transposition is the raising or lowering of precomposed musical notes by a tone or tones, key or keys, often to accommodate to the range of a particular instrument, as some instruments can play only in a certain key, such as C major, D major, E major, etc., or, or someone's register, such as soprano, alto, tenor, and bass. I personally am a tenor, too. The intervals, number of tones or semitones, between each note of the composition remain the same, but the overall music is either higher or lower in pitch, depending on whether it was raised or lowered in tone or key from its original state. And this is something that's incredibly common, by the way. If you ever go see a lot of these guys who do, say, like uh, piano music where they're playing by themselves and they're singing different songs, yeah. they're constantly oh, boy, just, just like, you know, it sounds like Let It Be, but it's something sounds a little weird. That's because they just bopped it to a different key or right. they transposed it to a different <laughs> key just so it's it's in their vocal range and they're not straining at all. Sure, and we talked about do it. A bit um, back to last time Mark was here, right? About the intervals being uh, the same, and you can just uh, throw out a chord progression like one, six, two, five, and then uh, those uh, relationships and ratios uh, stay the same to each other, regardless of what the tonic is, right? Whatever the root note is, um, they're gonna those uh, relationships will remain the same to each other. You just start out at a different place. So uh, that's the premise of transposition: is that everything, uh, the relationships to one another, remain the same, uh, regardless of where you start. All right, anybody else got a commentary there? That's just kind of the intro, really. What if transposition is not limited to music, but also applies to the corporeal and incorporeal? Could thoughts be notes from higher or lower registers acquired through transposition into the key of which our instrument, the mind, 
plays, which then draws out these thoughts into ideas and then further uses them to create within our register of existence the material world. And I'm all about that concept uh, because I, I say it all the time, the universe is frequency. Yeah, and then bingo, yeah. you have right there, just like contained right in that, higher-minded and lower-minded, <laughs> right, thoughts and ideas that you would have the higher-minded, uh, higher, you know, a higher frequency, uh, and then the lower-minded, lower frequency, for example, fear, right, where they keep everybody in a low state of fear. So right there in that second paragraph, it sort of encapsulates the entire premise. Absolutely, and uh, that would uh, tie into the, the thought that uh, consciousness is a type of uh, frequency per se, and that uh, we, being the human being, our mind is kind of the tuner, so we're, we, we actually are like a, uh, a radio set, whereas we're tuning in this certain, uh, what would we say, uh, consciousness, this level of consciousness, this frequency per se, uh, and this is, you know, actually reflected in this different type of idea here where you're talking, there's different range of consciousness. Like you're talking like higher mindedness to lower minded type uh, thought patterns and, and this kind of thing where people who are heavily transfixed with the hyper material uh, would be kind of trapped in this lower key. You know what I'm saying? Whereas if your consciousness, if you're, you're trying kind of thinking on that higher level consciousness, uh, you know, you're, you're tuned into more spiritual things, more aware of things uh, beyond just the material world. And as such, you have more of an effect on the exterior material world uh, through the power of thought. I mean, this is a fascinating idea, and it's a really good thought experiment to look at because I do think some of this uh, really holds true. And it's so it's um again i think beautifully constructed like i said it's a it's a great idea and especially if you even take push that metaphor a little bit further and again we just barely started with this document but if you press that metaphor <laughs> a little bit further and um consider the uh, relationship between the available notes uh or semitones that a person has available in their let's say in their consciousness uh so uh, it could be a minor key sad so they're depressed or um kind of you know they're always kind of get that negative vibe going on or cacophony right or let's say for example you've got uh, uh, pentatonic minor, right? Fewer notes from which to, which to choose. You can still communicate, but not nearly as complex as you would say uh, with uh, 18 note semitones, right? So something uh, larger and uh, and more harmonic and less um, dissonant, right? So um, these are these are fascinating ideas to to consider uh, when you um, apply them and, if you will, transpose them over the idea of consciousness and thought. So what about a concept such as, uh, for, for, to give everyone a fictional example, something like <laughs> they live, where they were broadcasting a frequency and pulling the humans away from what was actually there. They're, they're bopping perfect, them into yeah. a different uh, sort of uh, frequency, I guess you could say, from that broadcasting transmitter thingy they had at the end that they blew up. I think that's a good example of that, right? Yeah, I think that's a great yeah. example. And yeah, I would agree. And you could even push again the metaphor, the idea that you could, um, using additive synthesis, right, modulate one of those frequencies without the listener or the receiver really knowing that that the um, information has been changed um, through some other additive synthesis process that some other waveform um, have been introduced to it. It modifies the waveform. They still receive it in a similar way, but it has an internal effect um, that is different. So, again, uh, these ideas are fascinating, and I'm uh, delighted uh, that Mark's here to present them. We've got uh, one that can see. <laughs> see sharp. <laughs> the bedrock for this idea would have to be the muses, wouldn't it? Going way back. Yeah. 
yeah, that's a good point. Uh, if you look back in the mythology, yeah, the muses for sure. Come this uh, way, sailor boy. This. Have a cup of coffee. Yeah. <laughs> and certainly uh, Pythagorean theory and the idea that, uh, again, most of Western music is based on these ideas of ratios to one another, yeah. right? Four to three and three to nine and um, four to five. These ratios uh, create the intervals that we are uh, familiar with in Western music. Uh, and so, again, a mathematic in, in uh, construct, uh, but certainly, as Crow said, um, bringing in the muses and the inspiration. Absolutely. Well, There's also um, the, uh, the the term broadcast used a moment ago originally came from farming for broadcasting seeds. So plants and seeds was mm. you would broadcast them so you could cover a larger amount of ground in a shorter time to um, take grow the most amount of vegetable food or whatever it is you're growing. Uh, you plant, um, you choose your seed and you broadcast them. Uh, so this is where radio took that term from because it was broadcasting the frequencies far and wide like you would seeds. And then if you think about the analogy between planting seeds and planting thoughts, or in this case, frequencies for radio, thoughts for, I don't know, evil people who rule the world. <laughs> and if you what about if you again introduce the idea of the sky clock and the influence that uh, uh, each astrological sign has, uh, you, you might even then consider that each of the um, sun signs uh, have kind of a, a different tonic or root uh, chord. Yeah. And so we, um, then harmonize or resonate differently as each of these astrological signs comes through their house, right? As we experience it, they're gonna, each is going to be somewhat differently um, resonate with those influences differently. But if those are uh, truly electromagnetic, as I <laughs> suspect that they are, um, then uh, again, you would have a, a very interesting uh, case of uh, every living thing uh, creating sort of a symphony, right? Would you believe well, I have a, a thought experiment on exactly that? <laughs> called the Luminary Orchestra. <laughs> well, it's, pro it's provable because they've assigned color to each of the yep. zodiacal boundaries. So what you said is provably true. Yeah, and then uh, music, they did the same thing. The original, before uh, we had the, the um, staff that we have now in Western music, they used color uh, to signify which key and which chords you were playing, and they, they assigned them uh, color wheels. In fact, you can Google and still find some evidence of that. It's not nearly as clear as it once was. They do kind of uh, obfuscate it. Yeah, they still do it. I was, this is something I was taught at university as well. We had a guest lecturer from India who flew over, or a few of them did, but one guy in particular taught me and he was teaching us about um he was basically teaching us color and vibration um in uh, a different terminology so he was talking about color and music in relation to the different keys and modes and the different scales that, because the scales in india are, are, are different like they'll have uh, like notes between tones and semitones um and so they have different scales where it'll be for different times of day as well as different colors. So there'd be one, the one I remember was called Kalyani, um, which is a upbeat, happy one. So if you were writing this in sheet music, you'd be using uh, quavers or semi-quavers, something rapid and upbeat and very melodic. And um, and that would be for that particular key, Kalyani, which is basically the C, C major key with a raised F. So F sharp is Kalyani. That's the easiest one I can remember. And there was also correlation between color with it. So that's essentially color and vibration. It still goes on I think it's 
I think it's pretty demonstrable that all these things interrelate uh, when it comes down to it. Uh, music and thought, I think, are very intrinsically tied together, as well as the different colors and the different frequencies, this kind of thing that goes with it. Because if you look at the word music, well, that's derived from the word muse. So that uh, right there kind of infers that uh, there's a thought process involved in there. So this would be, you know, the creation of thought, the creation of music. Uh, they kind of go hand in hand in many different ways. So uh, when you look at it from uh, that point of view, and then you could attribute different colors and uh, just very many different th themes to the different musical chords and the different frequencies, this kind of thing, you can see where all these things are intrinsically tied together. So I think there might really be something to this idea of linking, uh, say, uh, music or frequency to thought and thought processes and uh, as Baldini had implied, you could tweak the, those frequencies in a way, modulate them just in, in such a way where uh, the observer doesn't notice them consciously, but it will affect mm. the unconscious in a and way it, like that. And uh, keeping in mind that music is the uh, only uh, one of our um, senses that we receive that goes uh, directly to the music center. There's a music center in the brain. It bypasses the limbic system. And it's the only um, one of our senses, the cardinal senses, that does that. Everything else will go through the limbic system first. Uh, and uh, music will go straight to the music center first. Um, so you could embed all kinds of stuff. It's very, very powerful. Well, the... the the, the definition that we have and the word we have to talk about it uh, by virtue of what they mean basically are implying external inspiration, right? right. Muse, music, mm -hmm. those two are derived and the whole idea is that there's some, you know, put it this way. Is that what happened to Jimmy Page? They quit, they cut him off <laughs> from the muses? <laughs> well, Co-creation as well. I uh, guess I that's a nice way to put it. Um, Paul Dini and Wayne are familiar, aren't they, with uh, co-creation and the idea of the creator and we can co-create with the creator that if you know for anyone who's spiritual or religious i suppose that concept comes into it mm -hmm. yeah the fundamental oh, yeah, fundamental tonic has been set and you know then if you get in resonance with that uh then yeah you're you're set to co-create Right, and if you don't, then you're cut off from the muses. <laughs> that's, that's a nice way to Jimmy put page. it. <laughs> Turn the page, right? So, uh, Bob Seeger. Uh, here I am. So, so they've actually got what? One, two, three, four, four. Yeah, there's seven of them, of course. Um, there's seven muses. One for flutes and poetry, <laughs> comedy and pastoral poetry, tragedy, dance, love and poetry, sacred poetry, and Urania, of course, is astronomy. And seven primary tones in Western music. There I mean, it is. The seven colors. colors. <laughs> Which one do I got to bang to be a really good guitar player? <laughs> You're probably not going to be one of getting it on with you, Turpy, because she does flutes. Oh. <laughs> flute. Yeah, I'm not into any kind of flutes. <laughs> and some, someone's going to make a, a meat whistle joke and tune it to the key of F. Oh, oh my. Mercy. That's going to be flat. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Areto, Areto is love. Oh, here it is. Po polyhymnia is sacred poetry. Melpomene is tragedy. Derps is score is dance. Derpy deleter. Derp. I'm just saying it's all implied. There's seven. There's seven colors primarily in the rainbow. There's seven luminaries. So it's all like seven. All I have to say I, is 
is the muse of derp must be hard at work in the world today. <laughs> then, so we get to seven. They hang out with Nickelback. And um, <laughs> the interesting thing about um, the seven days in the week is it's the only one of the um, the, the, the timekeeping measures that uh, is that uh, is specific to mankind. Uh, we're the only one that uh, recognizes a week uh, those that seven day cycle, and uh, they have tried uh, a few different times, including in France uh, following the revolution, uh, to make a like a, a you know ten day week, a metric week. They've tried a variety of things, and people just don't adjust well to it. So the original story uh, created as were given uh, in uh, numerous uh, ancient mythos of uh, creation mythos, uh, of there being seven days, um, is it's fascinating, right? That uh, that's again that number appears that seven is the number of completion, uh, and but man is the only one who relates to it in that way. Um, so it's fascinating. Well, it's interesting too because dia and day are the same in certain Latin languages. Yep. Yep. So the deity idea, yeah, the deity okay, idea is there. Good. Sorry, <laughs> I, I would I would suggest that the muse thing now that I'm looking over it again is implying the sky clock is uttering those influences. I'd have to look at it more closely, but the last one is astronomy. But as you go through, it seems like it's all matched up in the same way everything else is. All right. And, uh, I was just oh sorry, Jason. I was go just going to say uh, to uh, add to what Crow was saying. Then uh, in Gaelic, uh, dear is God. Dia, um, pronounced dear, and a bit like deity, um, but it's also how you greet someone. I think I said last time, dearet. So dearet means uh, God with you, but it's basically their way of saying hello. And the response to that is dear is murerit, which means God and Mary to you. And biocondias go with God, right? Mm. Uh, even even <laughs> goodbye in English is a shortening of God be with ye. So, um, yeah, it's all kind of embedded. I don't know. All right, here we go. In music. I, I got a, I got a break for a second, Jason. I'll be back in just a few minutes. Okay. In music, the notes pre-exist, and the composer utilizes his or her musical knowledge and ability to choose desired notes in a desired order at a desired time. I would also add an, at a desired velocity. Thus creating a piece of music with <laughs> harmony, melody, and rhythm something coherent and resonant. Applied to thought, this could interpret that thoughts pre-exist and the thinker utilizes his or her contemplative knowledge and ability to focus the mind on particular thought, develop it into an idea, and then further develop the idea into creation. This act in and of itself would be considered transposition. If the thinker successfully translates thoughts from their incorporeal register of origin to his or her corporeal register, meaning the non-physical or non-tangible to the physical or tangible, right? Then a transposition yeah. has occurred. Moreover, if the mind is the instrument, is it one of a limited and fixed register, like the tenor horn, or one of versatility, like the voice? It could easily be, be suggested that the mind is more akin to the voice, both being natural and internal to thinker and singer, as opposed to an instrument like the tenor horn, which is external to the musician. Interestingly, the voice can also transpose a piece of music from a limited or fixed key or register into any other key or register, granted a skilled enough vocalist is available. 
Could then the mind have the same capability if a skilled enough thinker were available? With enough skilled vocalists, the level of musical coherence and resonance achievable is extreme, as can be heard from large ensemble choirs. So could an extreme level of conscious coherence and resonance be achieved with enough skilled thinkers? I completely and utterly the, think that's true because we've heard of mass like, consciousness experiments, especially with those who are dedicated thinkers like people who are uh, monks that meditate and can really f focus or maybe defocus is a better way of saying that. And, mm. and not just on the same thought, but consider the idea of choir where you take parts, right, and uh, do harmony. Uh, what if you were to uh, kind of press that idea a bit and get interrelated thoughts uh, such that they harmonized? And uh, again, the, the uh, sum is greater, or the whole is greater than the sum of its parts. Right, and that, that speaks to uh, the fractal nature of what we are. Uh, we're all a tiny fractal of what we would consider to be God. Uh, so, like, if you look at it from those terms, uh, we're we're a small fractal of this this greater, uh, what would we call it, mosaic uh, or something similar to that. Uh, so, with that being the case, you could see how if we all work together in tandem, it would create this this wonderful coherence or resonance, just like it says here. Uh, it's the same kind of idea. And also, if you if you look at uh, some of these. Uh, these different uh, concepts presented here in this last paragraph, uh, you're looking at uh, what kind of correlates back to more uh, Pythagorean type thought, whereas there's an archetypal world where thoughts are, are born and then they become manifest by stepping down through these different levels. So you could see how this is kind of like the interval system of music and these ideas kind of resonate. So it, it's, it's really something I think that, uh, you know, really, there's something there. And just as a casual aside, uh, you know, uh, uh, it, it, people always request that I sing tenor, 10 or 11 miles from where they're at. Miles away. So. <laughs> Mercy. Me, I can do solo. Solo, you can't hear me. That's uh, that's the way it's. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, this, this idea, again, pressing the metaphor even further, if everybody was to um, be the person that they were meant to be, um, then each could be like plucking a single string on, let's say, a harp. And then the whole thing, if played together, um, would be, uh, again, uh, musical and resonant. And it does seem as though um, those who run the plays prefer this uh, cacophonous, um, as low as possible um, frequency. So, yeah, exactly. Discord. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they want everybody to sound like Nickelback. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, look at the Sorry, stuff they Jason push. Jason opened the door. I couldn't no. resist. And if not Nickelback Creed, I mean, come on. Like, how much, how much more scraping the bottom of the barrel do we need to go here? <laughs> well, I was thinking, uh, what is it? The uh, my pal foot foot. Um, mm, yeah, that's, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah, yeah that's mm, yeah. that's pretty mm. hard. Mm. <laughs> so why don't we expand this out a little bit and talk about what a lot of the the crap that gets tied in with what the bad guys do, and that's they do try to tap into this concept of a mass consciousness by doing their bullshit retarded rituals on stages like pink a few years back doing a full masonic ritual on stage and all this stuff for whatever it is they're trying to uh to bring into being i mean this is this is a form of sympathetic magic i think is the correct term for it correct me if i'm wrong uh what's her name uh, beyonce she did one a couple years ago where it was all about um Police states and she had people marching in uniform for the New World Order and all that stuff because, you know, it's it's all just art. And uh, what about the two dipshits at the uh, the awards a couple years ago going shot, 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 shot right before all this nonsense hit? What do you think, guys? 
Yeah, it's pretty. Um, it's almost know. like the idea of a, you know, when people have taken photographs of the television, like uh, you guys were setting up over. I can't remember what the date was. Was it around the twenty first of December, that sort of time, to take pictures of the television screens because of the flicker rate? Some th- uh, some images are filtered through, and there was a woman who accidentally caught yep. a kill came yep. up on the screen. She just happened to catch it somehow, and. Um, it's a little bit like that, but instead of visual auditory. Yeah, exactly. And uh, and again, we've we've demonstrated that uh, a number of times in um, you know high tech uh, music industry stuff and and uh, putting together uh, different pieces of equipment and using additive synthesis again to um, to broaden bandwidth of uh, pieces of, of gear. For example, um, uh, human hearing is um, generally considered to go between twenty hertz and twenty thousand hertz. Uh, so uh, that's why, for example, they have. Um, your CD sample rate is set to 44.1 based on the Nyquist theorem, which says that if you're going to sample any frequency, you have to do it at twice the sampling rate so that you can get it to effectively uh, show up uh, with any kind of quality. And so they gave 44 for 22,000 hertz and then 0.1 is uh, for error correction. Uh, But the idea is then uh, many manufacturers just started making lower bandwidth equipment that would only go up to that, like 20,000 hertz. Uh, But when you have equipment that will do, let's say, up to 150,000 hertz, it always sounds better and so there was an inquiry as to why because you can't hear that <laughs> clearly you can't you do hear get a lot of dingleberries that argue that but i'm with you baldini well, it's actually proven because the, what happens is that the those uh, higher frequencies do modulate those yeah, lower it frequencies. it makes harmonics. Absolutely. Exactly. It makes, Absolutely. Those, makes harmonics. And so you perceive that uh, as being fuller, richer, thicker sounding, even though you can't hear the the um, tonic frequency or the fundamental of it, you can certainly, it does uh, modify the others. And so uh, in waveform, uh, you know, transmission and propagation, we absolutely know that there's additive and subtractive, uh, constructive and deconstructive uh, interference. And so when you begin to add those things together and they harmonate, uh, harmonize at certain resonance frequencies, it's absolutely going to uh, modulate it. And it's that modulation um, that we perceive as being um, broader bandwidth. And so, yeah, it's, it's certainly true that uh, broader bandwidth equipment, it's much more expensive because it requires a lot better um, uh, component level technology to do it. Um, and so it's generally a lot more expensive. Uh, and again, as you say, some dingleberries go, you can't hear it anyway. Why would I spend all that money? Well, it's because you end up with a much better quality um, ultimately. But then again, uh, once you get it recorded, people are downsampling to MP3s right? and listening through 99 cent earbuds. So, you know, you, you have a, you know, $5,000 mic going into a $10,000 preamp into a $5,000 compressor uh, through a $50,000 console. And somebody's listening to it, you know, they downloaded it for free and playing it back <laughs> the 99 cent Kodak, right? So it, uh, it's a little bit disappointing when you put a bunch of effort into it and it comes out bad. But thankfully, think, there's the opposite side where somebody spends $10,000 on a headphone amp. Oh, right. Exactly. There is that. <laughs> it balances or, out. Or $50 a foot for a directional cable. Right? <laughs> so, uh, but no, all, you know, and they swear they can you know hear a difference and it's... it's um, confirmation bias really but you know ultimately it kind of gets down to um this idea where I, and you and i have discussed this at length on numerous occasions that is it does seem intentional the degradation of both the quality of music and the quality of audio uh, so that again it's all contributes to this lower-minded um, behavior you what you perceive it to be of quality is of such a lower level now than it once was um that it, it would be i think considered 
compared to people just going back even a, a few generations. They would consider some of what is considered now good music to be laughable. And certainly if you went all the way back to Bach and Mozart and those guys, they would go, what? <laughs> what are you doing? <laughs> what is this, Gumberbatch? <laughs> yeah, anyway. Oh, speaking of all that, uh, I've been meaning to say this for weeks. If anybody, I, I can't afford uh, to, to really splurge on one, but if anybody has an older reel-to-reel player that it's literally just being used as a doorstop and it works and they, they want to donate it over this way, I would love to do some tests on analog versus digital. And uh, a, a higher quality uh, analog device like a reel-to-reel is about as good as you're going to get in this day and age because that stuff's just not really made anymore. But I I've definitely would like to to try that out and report on my findings. I can tell you that uh, one album that I worked on a number of years ago is um, when the Otari radar was actually still with IZ technology and it got sent to a studio that I was working at <clears throat> at the same time that they had um, bought an, an uh, Otari um, uh, eight. Well, it was a uh, that's Otari eight, with an O, not Atari like. Exactly. Oh, okay. <laughs> exactly. Good, good distinction there. Yeah, I'm it is a very, a very. I diff- had an Atari eight hundred XL computer as a kid with you and me eight. both, buddy. And Remember those? Was, <laughs> oh, that, that was it back then, man. Yeah, so he had a just acquired a, a Studer A800 and had uh, a few channels that were bad in the preamp section and the, some of the head, the, the uh, tracking heads were damaged, and so we were looking for replacement. And we found a guy in England who was making 16-track and 8-track head stacks for 2-inch tape, and that's a quarter inch per track. And so um, I did an experiment uh, for this record, and it turned out fabulous. It was take a stripe of SMPTE, which is a time code locking um, mechanism, and put it on one track of the analog tape and then um, left a space and then uh, one track and then had six tracks that were a quarter inch wide. I get that thing at like plus 34, just burn that stuff uh, and then bounce it over to the radar, which is a digital recording media and then blank those tracks and come back and record it again. And ultimately it sounded amazing because you got tape saturation uh, really, really good. It sounded like it was coming off a 10 inch piece of tape. It was amazing. I would love to do that again if I could find um, the right kind of gear. So yeah, to your question, uh, Jason, it absolutely does work. Uh, and um, you can get that. In fact, guys to this day will still, uh, when they master stuff, pop to a half track, which is a um, half inch uh, stereo track deck, and uh, and do that because it, you can get tape saturation and it it works. It works better than a plug-in. I've heard some AB comparisons, and I can definitely hear a difference. And it's that's one of the things I want to do. But a decent one, I'm looking at minimal 500, 600 bucks. I just don't have that to burn on a, on a recorder I wouldn't use very much so but I, I, like I said if anybody's got one even an older one that's not necessarily like the best of the best I'd still love to play around with it just to do some experiments with and but that's besides the point if you want some stuff mastered, I know a guy in Nashville who, um, a buddy of mine, and he's got a half track that he can bump your stuff to and oh cool master. very cool so yeah so we'll talk offline but yeah it can be done awesome it's a thing <laughs> all right, let's get back. Let's get back yeah. to this. Our, to get our back on track, staying up till staying up till all we all the wee hours there in Liverpool. But by, by the way, to, to, because of that conversation, uh, j- j- just let me say that I've actually asked Baldini if he wanted to do a m- actual music gear related podcast because you just heard what he and I did when everyone else was probably sitting around going, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> what, and, what? And- and for all the non-music related people out there, one of the uh, quickest ways to, uh, uh, y- you know, broaden your bandwidth is when the band actually eats too much fast food while they're on the road. Uh, so <laughs> oh, just so you just so you know that. Oh, that was rough, dude. That mm, I like it. <laughs> uh, you could you could use that one, Baldini. I know you're always looking for new terrible jokes to pass along. So 
Not really. They just <laughs> land on me from time to time. But. <laughs> well, this one is landed. <laughs> exactly. Nosedived, actually. Right. So. Are we at the uh, pineal gland yet? Well, here, here's uh, let me something. Uh, let me throw something out here before we do move on here. Uh, what do we think of the concept of what the uh, the elite scum fucks do? With with these rituals, because I've been thinking about this while we've been chit chatting. Like, can you imagine like what kind of power and things that they might actually be able to manifest with all their negative nonsense, with symbolism and all that, with the power of a of a celebrity figure like a Beyonce or or that disgusting Pink or any of those other people? What do you think that they might be able to do? Like, this is exactly I I think what Mark was getting at here. How much power do you think they could really rustle up here? And what do you think might actually be possible? Anybody got any thoughts on that? Yeah, wow. I think um, most uh, cases it, it could be the wall. You know, the idea, the Pink Floyd idea of the wall, uh, a mental wall, not like a physical thing, but like a. If there's something they don't want you to know, then you're not going to know. You you could construct a mental like a frequency wall. I guess is probably the easiest way of putting it. Um, for most people, so censorship, I guess, mental censorship, <laughs> yeah, self-censorship, which is, you know, you can see it happen uh, when people almost get it and they, their eyes flicker and then pff, they go into zombie mode and you can watch it happen. Uh, and yeah, also, absolutely. Um, the heritage, I suppose, putting up a wall between heritage, because if you think about, um, say, Aboriginal or Indigenous um, tribes are the, probably the most difficult for the uh, Western civilization, commerce, all that nonsense uh, to really penetrate and take over because they have a um, oral tradition but they uh, we we now know that um through uh, say certain plants like ayahuasca or whatever that sort of stuff the links of frequency there and passing on of knowledge from nature itself and from ancestors um i don't know how anyone would go about proving that other than first-hand experience but if there's something to it then uh, that would be, um, I guess, an avenue of thought where there's another wall placed on us where we don't really know our own history because, like Crow says, that history is a lie agreed upon. And so because we don't have access to that, it's almost like there's a wall, but the wall is like a void. Just a, uh, We don't have access to our own cultural heritage, um, which I found trying, looking into my own heritage which should have been easier considering I have read her. <laughs> um, I looked into my heritage and started finding out all sorts of new information because I come from quite a poor background. Um, we don't have like a, a, a long trail, but I've started finding much, much more um, tracing names back really far. And as soon as I started doing that was when I started writing these thought experiments and having... Um, almost like more access to ideas and thought and like avenues to take that would lead to more information and i feel like that maybe it's like um a way of scattering our um our mind so we can't um access information that would actually help us stay on track um my point of view on that whole thing with these uh types of rituals they do uh something like these these super bowl halftime shows and all of this stuff in my view, this is actually vampirizing the minds of the observers and drawing all that energy to this central point. And, uh, you know, the, the dark occultists that are controlling that ritual are redirecting that energy in whichever way they see fit. Now, whether this is, you know, putting up walls, uh, mental barriers for the public uh, to manifest 
and to uh, kind of be blinded to or, or go into that zombie type mode uh, or whether it's some other activity that they're they're tra- planning on uh, trying to push in the future like you know say maybe like a planned uh, Ill- illness of some sort or something like that <laughs> they they'll redirect this energy that way they'll they'll draw this energy from the observer because when you have that many eyes on a uh, a ritualistic ceremony like this this is a, a type of a, a dark magical force it it draws uh, from those people's consciousness uh, whether they realize it or not so I, I think this is more rather than uh, putting out say a thought to uh, the public at large it's more drawing their thoughts towards this central point and directing their energies to this central point for redistribution however the uh, the person manifesting this ritual sees fit. Uh, that's more my view of it. It's it's kind of like a, a vampirizing of the mind of people. Uh, it's it's utilizing their minds and their their collective thought energy to manifest in the way that the uh, the quote unquote caster of this spell or ritual, whatever it may be, uh, whatever it is that they're looking to accomplish with it. So I think that's kind of more of how that works in in my view. Now I could see the you know your point as it does kind of put up as a a, a side function. It uh, blocks mm. people's minds to these different ideas and these different things uh, because it vampirizes them. I'm yeah. sorry, what was it? Uh, multi-purpose. It could be. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. all of this stuff. And all let's of consider, this stuff is dual use. Absolutely. All of it's dual well, use. Well, multi, multifaceted. And I consider, too, the idea that, um, again, uh, one of the documents that uh, Mark sent to me was um, that uh, somebody had done a study and um, aligned different uh, tones, uh, tonics uh, from like C, C sharp, D, uh, to each of the, and there are 12 of those, right, semitones there in uh, Western music. And again, aligned those to each of the different um astrological science in the sky clock, uh, that those would be healing uh, frequencies. And interestingly enough, um, what I was looking at his list and um, the one that uh, most closely aligned to my um, to my birthday, my sun sign was actually just a half step off. And I thought, well, if you adjust for the actual date and um, 432 tuning versus 440, um, it would be interesting because it would put me in the key of G, which is the one I always kind of tend to um, go to. So it's uh, uh, very, very interesting in that regard. But uh, to the idea of what could they do with the power? Well, consider then if we uh, if if these ideas are true and that we're kind of tuned in to different frequencies uh, individually, as well as in uh, by group, for example, by sun sign and astrological house. Um, it does seem as one of the things that they've accomplished, certainly, is to polarize people and to make uh, pe- enemies out of um, different people because of differences. And it certainly seems that uh, rather than use what seems to be the intent to make us harmonized together uh, and to show the uh, variations as Wayne said that we're holographic images of the of the creator himself um, that we were supposed to be um, kind of interconnected and interdependent instead uh, they've made, turned us against one another and made enemies out of one another and, and as I said earlier kind of making um, dissonance and cacophony out of what have should have been harmonic beauty um, and it seems that that is one of the things that they have accomplished at this point is to make uh, enemies out of uh, anybody who doesn't agree with you or align with you uh, and then forcing people into kind of a cult thing that they either accept uh, the party line uh, or they're outcast or now we're even considered as domestic terrorists that's the new move right so uh, it, it does seem that there is um, validity to these ideas Crow you got anything you want to put in on that we talk about music all the time even off the air 
No, uh, I think I'm going to look a little more into the Muse idea, though. Um, I hadn't, before you guys started reading this, I hadn't really thought of it in this way, but it appears to line up with just about everything else um, coming through the sun, which will always be seven. Um, the idea of the perfect number that sums occultly to ten, so it's a perfection idea and all that, too. Cool. All right, let's move on in the document, then. A side note. Could the pineal gland be some form of send or re- send and receive antenna? The tone of the individual's mind, a tone meant, or one mind, the collective mind, at one meant. Well, yeah, I'm all about that again. That again reminds me of the the concept of a bunch of monks sitting together and uh, focusing on on peace, world peace in an area. And I know there have been experiments done like that. But uh, anybody want to comment on that before we move on? Well, keep in mind yeah. the idea of conspire, right? To, con- to be conspiracy, conspire is to breathe together, literally. Um, to, <laughs> and so, Yeah, I, I would add to that that this kind of lines up with an uh, old uh, occultic uh, thought that uh, everybody's basic consciousness is uh, first and foremost implanted in them by what they would call a quote-unquote seed atom. Okay, that's Adam, A-T-O-M, seed Adam. And this seed Adam also has, along with it, the idea of a keynote. And everybody's consciousness has this uh, keynote. So this is kind of the same type of thing, and uh, it's being related here to the pineal gland. I don't know. I think in the older uh, uh, texts and stuff, they they equate this more to the heart chakra or uh, that kind of thing, uh, not so much as much to the pineal gland or like the, the chakra, the throat the, chakra, um, the head chakra. But uh, it, it's the same basic idea when it comes down to it. We have we all have this specific keynote that is uh, individual to each of us, and this is contained within that seed atom, which is uh, the seed of spirit. When you know man is becomes manifest in physical reality he's given this this seed atom and this is basically uh what consciousness is tied to so it's this keynote idea and i don't uh, once think that again, can be separated from the idea of morphic resonance uh, right right absolutely it does yeah. tie right up with right in hand resonance. in hand with that exactly yeah i was gonna say um what baldini said a moment ago about the uh the 12 months and then the 12 uh tones um, and he said his correlated. Uh, this was um, because I was looking into the uh, keynote that you just mentioned, Wayne, and um, because I contacted um, Mandara from, um, I can't remember the name of the website now. Do you remember, Jason? Uh, Crow, what was Mandara Cromwell's website? Do you know? I don't recall what it was. Um, I can't recall. Simon Technologies. There it is. Simon Technologies. Uh, si- I think it's Simatech. Here, I'll look it up. Mm-hmm. Maybe but yeah, she's been a guest way. with us twice. Uh, very interesting work, tons of cymatic work. But uh, go, go, go ahead, Mark. I um, I emailed her for the uh, to see if I could get the code to be able to watch the documentary, and I watched that. And then, and I thought it was brilliant. And that that night, I went to sleep. And when I woke up the next day, I had a couple of notes playing in my ears. In one ear, I had uh, D, and in the other ear, I had D sharp. Like I could. I, kept hold of them so i could get to a keyboard (laughs) (laughs) put put the beat man that harmonic beat into your head that'd be awesome (laughs) and then i went um i went to the my laptop and just put it on and got the like an online keyboard up just so i could match the notes to make sure i had it right and it reminded me of when i was in college because um 
this relates somewhat to the keynote idea and the 12 months and 12 tones because um, I remembered when I was in college, my first week of college, I had a lecturer called Andy. I think it was Andy Duffy. Um, he, um, I was speaking to him at the beginning of class. Where everyone was there. Everyone was talking. I was speaking to him. And then mid-conversation, he just hit a couple of keys on the keyboard. And the class looked. And he said, that's your natural key, the natural key of your voice when you speak. And then two notes he hit was D and D sharp. And I, having this uh, watched this documentary and woke up the next day with those notes in my ears, it reminded me of that. This was back in like 2014 when it, when my lecture and my tutor hit the two keys. But this uh, documentary and the the following day with the notes playing in my ears, it brought back that memory. And then so I decided to email Mandara to be like, how weird is this kind of thing and then a couple of weeks later i got in contact with i i just happened to buy some 432 hertz music from a guy called mike puskus from australia and uh he he just out of the blue emailed me because he thought i'd been ripped off by Bandcamp, which i had to put a tax on it and <laughs> uh, so he offered me in the future to um do a better deal privately over paypal and we've become friends now so he was the one who told me and sent me the information about the 12 months um, correlating with these 12 tones. And what my my birthday is the 6th of July. And when I checked July on the list, which Baldini can confirm, the note for that month is D sharp. <laughs> so, so what are you implying? Is that relating to a key tone for you? I think it's this is the idea that I was kind of speculating was so maybe this is a way of finding out. So if if you could test that according to what we just covered, might have been on the Mandara episode. Um, you could take a violin or something like that, uh, yeah. where where it's a stringed instrument, and slowly stroke a D or a D sharp or both, um, and that's supposed to invigorate, it's supposed to re-energize your total body through the through mm -hmm. the keynote idea. But how was that? Uh, how was the movie she was giving away? Because I never got to see it. It's great. It's um, it's in about I think it's three or four segments because there's um, she mentioned the dancer towards the beginning. There's a five or ten minute sequence with a dancer and four three two hertz music. I think it is and cymatic patterns. It's quite nicely done. And then there's a talk. Mandara gets to talk, of course, and there's a couple of guys who get to speak about uh, different subjects. The last guy was particularly interesting. Um, he touched upon frequency, and but the whole thing kind of got me thinking about this keynote idea because I read the the hermetic science of what is it? Is it math? The A.S. Raleigh book that you've recommended. Um, I read that, and that has a bit about keynote in it, and so I'd recently been thinking about this idea, but it was only after I watched their documentary and had the ringing in my ears I remembered this memory from college and nobody else got to find out um their their natural key tone of voice um while speaking because the lecturer or the teacher was uh, tutor was telling me that um that it requires uh, not being aware that you're being listened to basically for this purpose like right now if people listening um decide to test if my 
natural tone is D sharp or D right now. It probably won't be because I'm being recorded and I'm speaking live and that sort of thing. But because at the beginning of lesson, he just sat with me and just we were having a conversation and everybody else was doing their thing. He was able to just listen to my voice. And then I related this to the idea of a keynote and thought, I wonder if there's something to it. And of course, when I was sent this information, uh, I had the ringing in my ears, which was the same two notes. And then when I got this information with the 12 months and my birthday month happens to correlate <laughs> with the previous two occasions, I thought <laughs> three out of three. So how do, how do you match a seven note scale with 12 months? So there must be sharps, sharps or flats in there, I'm guessing. Yeah, it's the, yeah, the full 12. Yeah, the full um, 12, because yeah. you've got 12. We only right. use eight for the, you know, for most yep. Western music for an octave, but um, there are 12 semitones that we use. So that each yeah. one then is correspondent to one of the houses. Yeah. Right. So we could basically just go from open to the double dot on our guitar. Mm hmm. That's correct. Mm -hmm. uh, just up each fret. That's correct. Yeah. It's fascinating. I, I had never heard, even heard of that idea. Uh, but it, it absolutely makes uh, sense, especially when you consider, again, uh, electromagnetic frequencies um, being influenced um, from uh, from the uh, sky clock. It absolutely would make uh, sense as, uh, when you, again, overlay it uh, with all these other ideas. Uh, it certainly makes sense. I think we're uh, I think Mark is definitely on to to some terrific uh, ideas here. All right, let's move on. Is it, meaning the pineal, capable of receiving thought from other keys or registers and also sending thought back out to those other, or other keys or registers? If this were the case, then the concept of a collective consciousness would certainly be viable. One mind receiving thought from another key or register could develop that thought, which could then be sent back and later received by another mind to develop further. This could also suggest that some thought received from the collective consciousness could have traveled through the minds of those who have since died, our ancestors, contributing to the concept of genetically ancestrally inherited knowledge. And some thought from the collective consciousness, being of multiple keys and registers or planes of existence, could have traveled through the minds of other beings from those planes of existence. Su should such planes and beings exist, of course, and Crow, doesn't this sound a lot like our work with Jung? Yeah, um, this comes a lot closer to not taking it too far, like a gray alien with an anal probe. That's way, way, <laughs> way too far. I, I'm not even trying to be funny, although I knew Baldini was going to laugh. Um, it's just there's there's no, you know, you can't do that. You got to have no. something more than that. <laughs> but if this you is go the unsubverted version. <laughs> yeah, right. If you go through the versions, there's the idea in almost every old, including the Christian mystics, that there's a spiritual plane, there's a mental plane, there's a Buddhic plane, a plane called astral, which most places say is the closest plane to where we are. And it starts to make real sense if you've looked at enough other traditions. And by the way, uh, the Christian mystic work by mostly a guy named Curtis is the author. You can look up a lot of his his work. Um, it's not bigoted, so it takes a fair shake across all these other traditions, and it adds value. So I would just say, yeah, this this rings true to the older way people used to think before we got Rockefellers and Rothschilds in our world. And, uh the interesting thing is I actually wrote this before reading any sort of, uh, you know, like Manly P. Hall's, um, Rudolf Steiner. I, I, I've still not read any Carl Jung. I've watched your episode recently 
Um, but I wrote this document uh, towards the beginning of last year, maybe around this time last year, I think I wrote this. Um, apart, the only book I'd really read anything to do with anything like this is the one that's um, in the next line, The 30 Years Among the Dead by Carl August Wickland. But I've only read a few pages of that. I think James True recommended it on one of his streams. Right, you know, after we did the uh, the young episode, everyone made a bunch of disappointing comments that we hadn't covered the red book. Of course, we have two hours to do what we do, um, <laughs> but, but the point is, I, I think the red book is what most people feel is some of the apex work to get into from young. You know, this um, brings up the idea too, if um, w with getting in harmony with people, and especially in um, close proximity, uh, when you uh, consider the idea again of electromagnetic uh, interconnection and why they want us to keep six feet apart. Um, you know, and we've talked about this in terms of especially um, getting together for events like the Solar Return and Flattoberfest, like there was in October. Um, one of the things that's certainly true, and I've noticed this throughout my life, just as observation, uh, is that when you're involved in some sort of team activity, whether that's uh, team sports or uh, for me it was often uh, playing music with other people in a, in a band setting um, that you always uh, tend to um, adjust to really whatever the, <laughs> the the lowest person there right but if you have let's say five people playing together um, it's sort of the average of all that and so um, it, one person who plays normally at a high level if he plays with a bunch of um, uh, people who are uh, less skilled um, typically will play um, not as well uh, and uh, they almost can't help. It's the same if you're playing basketball or some team sport. Um, it, always, it always tends to go to kind of the least common denominator. Uh, and that, um, you know, the rising tide lifts all boats. If you are uh, if you are the worst player in the group, um, playing with better players improves your skill level. Uh, and so I, I think it just kind of lends itself to this idea that um, there gets this kind of this resonance together. Uh, and it is, uh, it is palpable and physical in, in a uh, close proximity situation. Well, anyone who's played music, I think, knows exactly what you're saying, and it's also the death idea creeping in. That's why we're six feet apart, because typically the dead are kept six feet below us. But, Mark, I, I would maybe make a suggestion, now that I've looked at this a little bit, and certain parts of it, I'm going to look deeper into the Muse ideas, because it fits with what Jason and I tend to cover. Um, yeah. I take this down to its lowest common denominator, and since you've already done Mandara, if you can come to accept that the foundation of it all is vibration, that if it exists, yes. it moves, uh, and work from there. Uh, but this feels, the more that I'm connecting up the musical ideas, it feels like you could almost treat it the same idea as the sky clock got treated by the older people when they started to section us down to a religion that was removed from nature. They convinced everybody that you didn't need the whole sky clock, all seven luminaries. And then they convinced everyone that the sun was the most powerful, which it is. Um, but it was a lens, so it lensed all the, the power, which it does. And we know this is true of light, too, because we can take sunlight and bust it out into seven colors, which is typically how it's described. Um, I think I'd go at this using those foundational ideas. Jason made a pretty good point on, I think it was Geronism, maybe on Monday, um, about um, the idea that maybe in the Bible, um, the word and light are essentially yeah, the same thing. Word, light, and frequency. frequency. That's it. Yep. That's right. Well, they have the same foundation no matter how you look at it. So, yeah. yeah that's I'll, that's the it, whole slot test, right? 
That's that's myopic mm. science trying to convince us that things are not knowable. Um, oh, it's a wave and a particle. You know, it's just <laughs> no, it's, it's not. ridiculous. How about let's go, <laughs> let's get down to brass tacks. If it exists, it vibrates. Yeah. Who gives a damn how you want to describe it beyond that? Yeah. The only reason they had to describe it as a particle because they had to get it to propagate through a vacuum of space. <laughs> and if there's no media, there's no wave. And so they had to call it a, a particle uh, and created a photon out of just it's a rectal extraction they pulled out of their butt. There's no there's no absolutely no evidence for it whatsoever. It's problematic coming up with solid evidence for a lie. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. That's true. Well you kinda have to work hard at it, don't you? You do. <laughs> you don't work as hard. You don't work that hard on the lie. It's all your efforts spent on the minds of the people. I was just, just going to say it. You you don't have to focus on the details of the lie. What you have to do is keep people in a hypnotic state so they just believe anything you say, right? So they believe you're smart, they're stupid, and they have to believe you. Yep. Floridius Maximus. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> Okay, next section. This concept fits well with the work of Carl August Wickland, 30 Years Among the Dead, in which it is suggested that mental disturbances such as psychosis and schizophrenia are caused by obsessing spirits. The spirit or incorporeal self which departs upon death and has become lost and restless through the lack of understanding of death. It is suggested that when an individual suffers an emptiness or openness, these obsessing spirits can invade or be received by the empty open individual. Some have reported the experience of thinking thoughts which are not their own, meaning a thought was dropped or placed into their mind, in their minds in their own mind's voice, which was not theirs. Sometimes these voices are benevolent, other times malevolent. Either way, in musical terms, this could be described as another composer or thinker placing notes or thoughts into a pre-existing composition or mind, making the notes or thoughts a part of the same key or register or plane of existence, but still not of the original composition, the individual's mind. There's been work done that I thought was top-notch, and I can't remember the source right now, that wanted to attribute drug abuse, uh, alcoholism, any number of things to basically this idea. And um, some of the Christian mystics took this down the line and claimed that the astral plane has a ghetto. Basically, there's a dark side of the astral plane. Just like here, there's good people, bad people. And uh, that all the negative influence comes from the dark side there or the, the malevolent uh, influences. It's quite interesting. And those are two disparate sources. One comes from a scientist who is actually a psychologist, I think, who got drummed out of town for his ideas. And the other was Christian mystics, both saying the same thing. Well, we do call um, alcohol spirits for a reason. Mm. That's a fact. And um, I can also say that the member of my family who passed away before I was born, who had schizophrenia and psychosis and all sorts of problems, um, it stemmed from alcoholism. Uh, and the, the way he died was, was suicide. And when he committed suicide, he wrote a, uh, on one side of the page, he wrote a nice poem. And on the other side of the page, he wrote a grotesque poem. And he was my dad's uncle. And uh, just before Christmas, a couple of days before Christmas, my grandma passed away because of um, alcohol. Essentially, she had 
since the lockdown regulations had started and because uh, my grandma was athe she was drinking and smoking since she was about 14 years old but she uh was also very active very lucid completely coherent um and she uh throughout the lockdown because there wasn't she couldn't really do anything um she was just drinking more and it, it you know obviously has a ne- negative impact um and eventually she had a fall and the next morning she didn't wake up she died in her sleep and that sort of links in a way because the alcohol again like you were just saying spirits and alcohol um, there's something to it and my grandma also was Irish heritage that's where I get my Irish heritage is through my grandma and like I said it was her brother who had the schizophrenia and psychosis and then when you think about the larger scale of like uh, what's her say cultural trope of Ireland or Scotland or uh, well even Liverpool to some degree I suppose is alcohol <laughs> Yeah. And when you think about also uh, what what did the so the powers that be do to uh, the Native American population or a lot of fire water, uh, yeah. <laughs> it, it's interesting too because um, certainly again in modern Western society anyway that uh, alcohol is uh, highly promoted uh, as uh, you know the feel good drug of choice and yet it does uh, demonstrably close down your um, ability to see <clears throat> better and see through things. You catch my meaning there. While they have uh, outlawed and, um, you know, made, um, you know, uh, really just kind of made anathema uh, anything that might uh, open you up a bit. <clears throat> so uh, if you have anything that might thin the veil a little bit, that becomes, oh, that's a, a moral turpitude. Uh, you have a character flaw, right? Uh, if if you, uh, for example, take any hallucinogens or whatever, why, why should that matter? And yet it's it's perfectly fine. Uh, in fact, one of the essential businesses open during this past year, uh, of course, was uh, alcohol sales. So, <laughs> Well, go, go to any lower income neighborhood in this country and count the number of liquor stores per capita. And it tells the tale of how they're used because you have to have a liquor license. Matter of fact, in the place I'm at, there are so few liquor licenses. You basically have to wait for someone to die um, to get a new liquor license. So how is it um, that all these places are approved in such great quantity to sell the liquor in places like that? That was the whole, what was that? The, not the Watts riots, the ones in the in the early 90s, um, you know, with... Uh, Oh, Rodney the King. The trucker, yeah, the, yeah, the fake Los trucker, yeah. That that whole place. Um, I've been there. It's just every every convenience store there, just about, is a liquor store. Okay, this concept would also fit with Walter Russell's The Universal One, considering his suggestion is that everything is light and therefore frequency and energy, which I completely and utterly agree with. If the incorporeal self is energy, why not thoughts and memories? And if thoughts and memories are energy, could they be stored somewhere like a collective consciousness? Can they be sent and received? Can they be maneuvered by those with the know-how, carrying the intent of the sender? And if this can be done with thoughts and memories, could then the same be done with or by lost and restless spirits or obsessing spirits? Well, I, I absolutely think yes, because if Crow, as Crow and I have said many times, uh, the only true magic really is in your mind. It's the only place you can really create something from nothing. Yeah. And, yep. 
and for for sure, um, the uh, we we have demonstrated, and they they have never been able to identify where memories are held, and uh, it does not seem to be located in the brain at all. Uh, which again comes back to the idea that there is some sort of resonance field around you uh, and that it is electromagnetically in you. And there's certainly lots of anecdotal tales of people who get uh, especially heart transplants uh, who then pick up very distinct memories of the donor, uh, seemingly impossible in any other way. So fascinating stuff. I've got an OtterBox for mine. I don't know about you guys. (laughs) Can you put it through a phase shifter? (laughs) (laughs) I want it to do a wah-wah pedal. Original script logo. Come on. (laughs) Also, that uh, ties back a bit to um, uh, uh, Jerry Mozinski, who I mentioned, Beth Martin's interviewed, the the idea with schizophrenia and psychosis being, um, say, the voices coming from an external source as opposed to being intrinsic to the person suffering from either um disease illness whatever you want to call it balance they've never proven that either yeah mm-hmm. no that makes many, a lot of money doesn't it <laughs> there's many unanswered questions about things like schizophrenia and psychosis and things of that nature and uh you know i i think there may be a spiritual component to it as well uh this this kind of makes sense in a lot of ways because uh oftentimes uh people who are, are labeled as schizophrenics or anything like that, uh, they do have what they would describe as an outside influence affecting their mind. So, uh, you know, that that's kind of uh, one of those things that's very subjective to look at. There's no way to really prove or disprove uh, that type of a theory. Uh, I know that a lot of the cyberneticists have looked at these ideas to try to better understand, uh, you know, the actual... Uh, how should we say the mechanism of what causes uh, these different types of uh, what we would call, I guess, mental illnesses or uh, neurological effects in people such as schizophrenia, psychosis, these kind of things. And uh, I, I don't know per se if they ever looked at it through uh, the lens of like alchemy or these uh, intrinsic occultic ideas or the ideas of like the spiritual nature of things or these uh, external sources affecting Uh, these people, but it's been proven that uh, frequencies can actually have this effect on people. They could uh, implant sounds directly to your brain. They could transmit, uh, uh, you know, information, sound waves directly into your brain, uh, past your eardrums, uh, into your head. And it goes way beyond that, too. They could actually implant thoughts with these different frequencies, too. Right. I was just thinking about the celebrities, like this idea that they... Uh, say so someone like Lady Gaga, clearly there's, I mean, she practically openly admits that she's part of like blood rituals and cannibal rituals and all sorts of crazy stuff. But it starts to make you wonder, I wonder how much of that is her, as in the, the person who was born and raised, whatever her real name is, um, and how much of it is sort of like an MK Ultra situation where, you know, you sometimes you see people glitch out a bit <laughs> on videos right. like Shaquille O'Neal is constantly just <laughs> yeah and you also have to wonder you know is there another spirit taking up residence in there at that point point? Yeah. and i would suggest <laughs> i would suggest these mk ultra ideas and these ideas of using uh frequency to implant ideas or thoughts into people's minds well they're getting this from somewhere aren't they this is uh, a replication of something else so they perhaps would be looking at these spiritual concepts and the the uh 
thought about maybe this uh, bio field, this intrinsic bio field we all have, and how different uh, dimensional entities or intelligences or things like that could possibly affect people, spirits per se. Mm-hmm. Um, and and there's there's a lot of different uh, things in the scientific realm that could be looked at that could kind of back up this idea. But I, I don't know. I don't think that our scientists of today would actually no, they, look at they don't something accept, like that. They, it would be a bridge too far. For they them. don't accept that. But uh, many, many artists, especially music artists, have um, explicitly said that they're, um, uh, they take on another personality or even uh, get um, possessed by a, uh, another force that takes them over. They've openly stated that. has that. been admitted. Yep. Yes. Like Dr. Bob Dylan when he talks about the chief of this world. Yeah, right. And um, I noticed in the chat earlier, somebody gave shout out to AA, right? And um, one of the things I, um, ha- I, you know, I'm not a member myself, but uh, I know people who have gone. One of the, I know one of the exercises that they do is that they have people early in their process to give a name to their addiction uh, and to basically anthropomorphize really? it. Really? I didn't know that oddly, one. Oddly enough, most of them have no problem doing that. Um, they can easily kind of, a couple of people, one called it Red, one called it Loomis. I remember those because those are friends of mine that um, had uh, severe alcohol uh, problems and went to AA. And so they that was one of their first exercises was to give it a name. And um, it became so anthropomorphized over time that, a, you know, a couple of people have, um, uh, yeah, again, it, it takes on a very interesting thing. Uh, yeah. So. I find it. I find it um, like again, just fascinating that that is part of the um, uh, part of their uh, rituals, if you will. Uh, if you want to give power to something, give it a name. That's, yeah, right. That's what they say. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that's a kind of a dangerous idea, honestly. If you have some type of an addiction or something, um, and you know you you want to give it a name and assign a personality trait or something to it, yeah. or anthropomorphize it in a way, this is empowering it and kind of uh, creating the situation. Number. Where this becomes like a type of egregore or a tulpa of yep. sorts that have, follows you around. I have a number of issues. And again, I, I, don't, I don't really begrudge. I know AA has helped in a bunch of people, but I have a number of issues with just some of the basic psychology. That Again, if you go every time you pronounce yourself, hi, I'm, I'm Bob and I'm an alcoholic, um, then you continually think of yourself as that. I mean, um, and most people who have actually trans uh, gone beyond it, right, they've uh, transcended it, um, now think of themselves as, you know, I'm Bob, I'm a former alcoholic. Right. And so you must um, every cell of your body uh, will uh, work as hard as it can uh, to be whatever you imagine it to be. This is again, this is the manifestation of the will. It's been proven over and over again. And so if you continue to keep yourself in that trap and if like I put it this way, if you spend all of your, you know, just for a day. Right. If you spend all of your time thinking about not drinking, you're spending all of your time thinking about drinking. Right, and you seem it would seem to be a miserable kind of hell to me. Where uh, again, I would just uh, assume spend all my time focused on something else, and you know, uh, make that part of uh, my life uh, a a distant memory. Right, I've done things of which I wasn't proud, and um, I I can barely even that doesn't even seem like a part of me anymore. I never think of myself as like, oh, I'm still that person over and over again. Um, so I I do have problems with some of those aspects of it. But again, I can't say that it hasn't helped a lot of people. So. Yeah, there you go. Right. I think it's the well, support network the that does difference. the most for that, uh, as far as AA is concerned. If I if I had to uh, venture a guess, but I've I've never had those issues, so I, I can't speak from personal experience. You, well, you want to know the major difference between an alcoholic and a drunk? A, a drunk doesn't have to attend the stupid meetings. Right. There you go. <laughs> yeah. No, but I. 
Yeah, the one thing that I've had a conversation with several people um, in leadership there, right, is that um, it what what it never does. Well, it does do again some things and um, uh, help. Uh, lead you through some emotional healing and stuff. What it never does is to address the underlying root causes of it. And so most people simply transfer that ad- one addiction for another. Like everybody picks up coffee and cigarettes, whether they ever smoked or drank coffee before they uh, they transfer the addiction. So they still have the um, the, the same issues that caused it, um, and they can exhibit the same exact same behaviors. So, so many will become gamblers. Um, they just transfer that from one to another, and so they never address the underlying root cause. And that's probably one of the major problems I have. It, with it is you'll never you'll never get beyond it you're not really working it's like a band-aid right um you got a bunch of group of people helping you keep that band-aid on uh, but I, I don't know again i don't want to spend time bashing i know that uh, many people um it's helped them a lot and and i, I wouldn't um disparage that but uh, i think there are uh, better ways right yeah i agree aa has done some uh good things for a lot of people and some people do benefit from that so you know aside from being a little silly about things here i I do respect what they do but uh you know it's it's not for everyone it doesn't work for everybody but there are a vast number who it it does work for and more power to them for that but uh it suppresses beside the point but you you are you are correct though they do just trade one addiction for another in many uh instances there so uh that kind of is like trading one monkey on your back for a different one or a pair uh, of it's them. still there yeah. right, right or a pair of them i did that i gave up the leftover cocaine for brand new stuff oh hey <laughs> hey hey, hey. <laughs> well it's less tacky <laughs> Oh dear! I need some Peruvian marching powder now. I guess. <clears throat> All right, let's finish this document off. Or uh, oh, we're doing good right. on time. Many have identified the mentioned incorporeal self by other names, such as the energy body, aura, human biofield, and spirit body. So perhaps there is something worthy of investigation, and music might be a good medium for understanding and illustrating this concept. On a more positive note, and to conclude, it could be said that the initial step to any creative process is transposition, and, therefore, all who think, contemplate, and create are, before anything, transposers. This also makes me think of the, uh, the whole alchemical process of uh, mm-hmm. transmutation, yeah. of course. I couldn't get past that whenever um, we talked, when Mark first presented it to me, it seemed like that was the the next step, right? The next natural progression <laughs> is. I have no clue at the time about uh, alchemy or anything in, in that sort of field. That that was only after I started listening to, I think, some of the Benjamin Baldson episodes that you and Crow have done. <laughs> you mean somebody out there actually listens to our show? <laughs> A couple. <laughs> Oh, oh, you're the other one. That's okay. good. We'll keep making them, man. <laughs> hey, man. I got three emails today. I know someone's listening. There you go. <laughs> By listening, you mean complaining, right? But I, I love taking um, these ideas. And uh, again, I, I would uh, get, give my left nut for a, a working lab, uh, electromagnetic and cymatics lab, uh, to be able to walk through some of this stuff and to see what are some of the effects if you uh, begin to use things like um, electromagnetic fields and um, polarization uh, and water, especially. Um, the work that I've done uh, investigating water and what it, what it's capable of and what it is, it's still, um, it's probably the most magical substance that, that I have <laughs> come across ever. It is um, just remarkable and mind-boggling. Um, Not the leftover cocaine. Like the leftover cocaine, but a lot <laughs> easier to find. It's, it's certainly a lot 
Uh, it's a lot easier to find than that, though. And recover it from. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it certainly is. But uh, but uh, to be sure, uh, the, these ideas, again, with frequency and vibration, um, harmonics, uh, transposition, um, th- this is where, um, you know, my heart lives in terms of uh, trying to understand or get a better grip on the nature of the universe and uh, integrating all the little bits and pieces from um, sky clock to colors and uh, music and all the different things. Um, it, it is uh, th- this is where I just kind of back up and go, whoa, <laughs> you know, you know what it shows me? This is why it blows my mind, because it proves the basis for all our knowing right now is wrong. Um, it's myopic. Science has become myopic and it's not brand new. Like we get all these people come on like RNs and other people's now that will say we've gone full scientism in this place I worked where just a few years ago what I'm seeing now would have been unacceptable. But the truth is, I can take you back to the 1900s and show the complete disconnection from real knowing uh, in the scientific field long before Einstein. Long, you know, it's crazy to think about where we could be and where we probably have been and where we're kind of just stagnating right now. Would you would you agree, Crow, that um, with my observation is that one of the biggest killers of really a good, you know, good thought besides them taking away the trivium and, and you know, not teaching rational thought. Um, but uh, the idea that uh, specialization, that once they compartmentalized, right. people, didn't give them the, uh, the ability to become polymaths, uh, you know, or, uh, it, you know, in any way, see more than one basic uh, discipline. Well, if you, so, if you, so nobody ever completes a task. It's like exactly. you make this part, you make that part. This other dude puts part of it together. Exactly. That's exactly how it works. You know why? Well, yeah. Why you, you understand that bit, right? That you know how this thing works, but you have no idea why, um, and you can only kind of get to that when you look at it from a multidisciplinary standpoint, uh, and to see how everything is interconnected. It's like they took that away. Well, that's right. the whole point of what science did to us. I mean, that's basically the starting point. It's it's the basis for how they jacked medicine. What yeah. my foot hurts, so I got to go see a pod- podiatrist. Yeah. So you're telling me the MD <clears throat> doesn't know how the body works. Um, it's it's the whole kind of dissecting down into car, you know, compartmentalizing all these things. But even it's worse than that, because even at the basis of each compartment, they're wrong. Um, if you look at and the thing is, is like anyone can do this if they have enough time. And that's part of the problem with our world. Nobody has the time. You got to make money. You got to pay your rent. It's been made so convoluted that most people will never have the time. But you'll come across, oh, if it exists, it vibrates. There's a foundation. Every other thing you do will stand on that. And then you'll realize, oh, wait a minute. This prism breaks the sun into seven colors. Every other thing you do will stand on that. And that's not where we're at anymore. Um, And it's also the reason why we can't go any further. And look what we've got. We've got a periodic. A periodic table of elements, which is the be all and end all to science, and they're not elements; yeah. they're combinations. They're <laughs> provably combinations. Yeah. Right. And when you actually look at uh, the way that our society has been steered into this mindset, this compartmentalization, uh, you know, it's it's the complete opposite of what the controllers do. The controllers use a cybernetics approach for everything, and this is the holistic systems control approach. And that's where the real disconnect is because there's a select few people at the top of the power structure 
that have a better understanding of these things and look at it from that holistic perspective. They have the the overall picture, whereas our sciences and just the way our world is built, it's all in these little sub compartments. It's all compartmentalized. You yeah. specialize in this, you specialize in that, and you may understand that field fairly well or fairly effectively. But when you try to uh, uh, transpose that into another field, it doesn't go so well because you don't understand the other field. And that kind of creates uh, a disconnect there. And that's why, uh, you know, it's it's hard for somebody who's specialized in one thing to be able to understand certain other processes in another field. And I, it's, there's it's a perfect example. What Wayne just said, there's a perfect example in the world we all live in. There's one set of rules for everything that's big, and there's another set of rules for everything that's small. Um, if, yes. if that doesn't underline exactly what Wayne just said, uh, and you can't make them jive, and they'll never be able to make them jive even, because they're both BS. And even what's his name at uh, MIT? He even put the three on it, right? So you've got the you've got the quantum scale, the mic, the very micro. You've got the natural scale, right? The the Newtonian scale, and then you've got um, the planetary scale. Right. And never the tw never the three shall meet. You could say never the twain shall meet. But um, classical physics and quantum physics, you know, they've been saying that they, they didn't go together. Uh, but when you get to the planetary scale, not demonstrable like gravity. Right. None of those things demonstrable at any level other than you have to imagine it. Uh, but one of the things that uh, I think really sidetracked and distracted, uh, created a huge disconnect is the presentation of the idea um, following like the Industrial Revolution uh, that the that mankind is a machine. That you you are um, a, a machine that you're no longer organic and connected to nature in any way. And then once we got into the idea of technology in terms of um, the computer, uh, they they then uh, began likening the mind to a computer. And then you'll hear all the time, oh, you have just it's you know garbage in, garbage out. It's programming. If and we even use these terms, programming. Uh, but um, the more that you consider yourself that way, the more you are separated from um, na nature. Right. Uh, and so you, you they get you out of the idea that you're connected to nature at all. Look, look at the way we live. They've done everything they can to get us as far away from nature, from shoes um, to, to we stay inside. I mean, people like even kids, I, oh, I don't, I don't want to get dirty, yucky. Oh, my God, it's an animal. It's scary. Um, they, they have no connection whatsoever to the natural world. And, and uh, especially in the city, they uh, it's like they've done everything uh, possible to get you as far away from the natural world. And I think it begins with the idea of this old hyper materialism that you are a machine uh, and and you're not and that's like the worst metaphor possible you're not a machine and you could take a you, you could take a car apart and see how it works and put it back together and it will work if you take fred and take him apart to see how he works and try to put him back together you can't fred ain't going nowhere <laughs> fred dead <laughs> right so we have no idea how life works um at, at really at any level uh, talk well, See, the part of the problem that, that underlies what you just pointed out is that without that foundation, you, you can't know things. Um, you'll never understand anything about numbers other than what you can pick up or logically deduce from what others are telling you. And if you can't do that on your own, then you have no barometer in life. You see things, but you don't have the tools to gauge whether they're helpful or not. Um, and, you know, we, Jason and I have gone around, as a matter of fact, we just had the good fortune to interview this morning for a very short period of time, Gregory Manorino, who's in the money markets. Um, I finally wanted to get a guy who's clearly honest and good hearted in what he is presenting. Um, and, you know, he, he hits on the crypto 
And um, this is the whole problem with crypto. And no matter how you try to describe it to people, they're never going to understand the underlying reason why it's a nightmare. And that's because of foundationally what you know it's based on. And it's not easy to describe to people because they're going to say, well, you could get rich on this. Well, yes, you could. <laughs> you, you absolutely, if you're a clever person right now, you, you might very well be able to get rich on crypto. So there's all these other pet rocks too. Right. But there's all these other problems. But the, the problem is, is the base of it is binary. The base of everything binary works off exactly what you've said. Well, we used to be a body. Then we were a machine and it goes in that direction. And pretty soon we had a computing machine. So the mind started getting looked at. See, the underlying mechanism of these things is if there is actually an evil, the definition of these foundations is that. It's, you know, people would call it demonic or other things. Um, it's unhelpful, and it is these words and these things because it is contrary to nature. Yeah, it's the antithesis of natural. Yep. Right. Yeah, so uh, exactly. that by and it, and it leads to what, uh, again, Wayne is always talking about, which is transhumanism. And so if you think mm -hmm. of yourself as a computer, then uh, it makes a perfect sense that you want to uh, put a chip into it, right, to, uh, to overclock it. <laughs> I mean, I, I can remember in the 1980s them telling us that they could implant a, a memory chip in our head to give us extra memory storage and, and perfect memory. <laughs> I even thought at the time, like – what what language is that going to be in? Like COBOL, Fortran? How are you going to do that? Johnny Mnemonic, baby. We don't even know how memory is stored organically. We have no fucking idea. And so how are you going to uh, translate that into a storage chip? It's it's retarded. I'm sorry, the R word. <clears throat> I'm pretty sure you're going to have to use a hundredth monkey. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just it just seems, um, uh, again, not only preposterous, but that people would accept that uh, at, to a point where now Elon Musk is, um, you know, we got it in a pig. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. What? And so it. What? It, it speaks Pig Latin. Is that how you programmed it? Is that the language it speaks? Well, think, think, out of think, here, of, think about what you were just saying, though. Where and I've heard these examples where people have been transplanted and weird things have happened that seem to be related to what the donor was about. Now think about the vaccines. Uh, some of them have chimpanzee. Oh yeah, monkey parts. Stuff and yep, and some babies. of them have aborted oh aborted oh fetal God. kidney cells from I think a strain collected in the 70s. So if 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 all this is Absorbing, true, sitting in a lab. Yeah. Oh my God, that just oh that makes me sick. And so it's, it's people it's that have to trees. Yeah, it'd be warping your antenna, wouldn't it? It would. I mean, this is. The, I mean, if the idea of if the premise of morphic resonance is has validity, and it seems to have. Every foundational um, idea seems to be solid there. Then um, what you would be absorbing is being grown in a lab for 30 plus years and all the gross things that they did and, and all their intention, everything that they intend um, harmful is is in it. I mean, it could how could it do anything but harm you? Oh, it's just uh. When you look at these things from the concept of, uh, say, we function as a type of radio tuner, tuning our consciousness here, what they're doing with that is they're changing your channel. That's exactly what they're doing. They're, they're tuning your resonance or your frequency to this other bandwidth. Uh, and, and that's... I'm, I'm with you. I'm actually yeah, with you, Wayne. Lower, yeah, it's, it's lowering uh, you know, your, your consciousness, your, your conscious capability. Well, we didn't even uh, touch they, on video games and the HDTVs and the computer screen. I'm sitting in front of a 5K computer screen. How much does this fry my freaking brain? <laughs> it's probably frying your brain pretty good. I mean, I, I'm Who sure we're all pretty well getting fried right now. Nice saute, Jason. Well, that's good. Just make sure you use coconut butter. Medium rare. Keep it natural. <laughs> <laughs>
It'll make you fat. <laughs> but it's oh so good in coffee. Saute your brain. Uh, but yeah, I see that uh, somebody in, um, in chat's talking about they want us to be cannibals. And of course, they've been presenting this idea for some time now. Uh, and it does seem like uh, that they're pushing uh, even further to that. And can you imagine again then um, them putting all that trauma uh, getting people to eat each other, all the trauma that they would be recycling over and over and over. Um, so Evelyn Green is people? Well, yeah, Char- oh. Charlton Heston only did <laughs> Only the poor the ones. Matter, right? There was a reason. Right. Yeah. So the Ten Commandments and Soylent Green. And Ben. And, and one of the most famous actors of all time. That's his final movie. He does the death scene. What's his name? Edward G. Robinson, I think. Oh, yeah. um, that was a golden age top... That the man who started to try to replace him was Steve McQueen. So you're talking the apex here. There's an actual poker movie where the two of them are in it. And in the movie, he looks Steve McQueen in the eye and says, you're not ready to replace me as king yet, kid. Um, they're saying in the movie what's actually being done in real life. And Edward G., you know, slowly departs stage left in the 70s. Last show is Soylent Green. And Steve McQueen comes up on top until, of course, he gets butt cancer. And then goes down to use the Gerson method. And then Bad Mouse, the reason that he's going to die is because he went down to use the Gerson method. And that wasn't good enough. They took Michael Landon uh, and put him on the Gerson method and did the same thing. Trotted him up to Johnny Carson's Tonight Show to say, oh, I would have lived if I just wouldn't have gone down to do Gerson. So you've got to realize that whenever you see these apex people in movies, it's for a reason. Um and I would suggest, even though it's not a very good movie, Soylent Green was there for a reason. <laughs> Absolutely. This um, happened with uh, a friend of mine. I'm not going to name him. Um, but he, uh, a friend of mine at college, he got cancer. He was 17. And um, he did chemotherapy. It kind of reduced it. But obviously, chemotherapy decimates all of your cells. And so the cancer came back when he was around about 20, 21. And so he decided to go with the Gershwin, Gershwin method and he went to Mexico to get this done. And I remember at the time I, I was on social media and I got to see his before and after scans and it shown unequivocally that the, the tumours had shrunk from the Gershwin method. But unfortunately, um, if I was to speculate, I'd probably suggest that the initial chemotherapy made it so it was much more difficult for the Gershwin method to work. And they, even they then, tell the you that. they tell yeah. you a couple of things. If you've done chemo, they tell you unequivocally, if you've ever done dialysis, then you're done. All bets are yeah. off. And they'll tell it. My, my father spent the last years of his life on dialysis and they don't even know how it works, believe it or not. Um, but they put, yeah, they put you on a machine and they're filtering everything out of your life source, your blood. Um, as a matter of fact, that's how he mm. departed. He said, well, I'm not going to chemo or I'm not going to dialysis anymore, which means I'll be in a, di- in, a in a coma within a week or two, which was true. Um, and that's how he decided to leave. Um, mm. But Gerson My will own. tell you there's certain things that once they're done, they're done. And it's Western medicine things, by the way. Yeah. My friend actually did just he, he um, last year, I think it was the early last year he passed away and um because of course it didn't um work but he was writing a book because he realized it was working it was doing something um but obviously that never got to come to fruition but then uh, the bbc over here made a documentary um covering um 
what happened to him basically but they were basically just slating the just trashing the the Gershwin method and the the uh, the police for giving false hope. Hmm. Unfortunate. I will say that hmm. uh, if you talk to any um, any honest pharmacist, um, they will tell you, or you know, chemistry person who does uh, that kind of chemistry, um, that they don't know almost. Um, almost a hundred percent of uh, pharmaceutical um, medication. They don't know the mechanic of it. Um, the mechanics of it are unknown. Um, it, it, it has an effect. They, they can measure it. Uh, it has an effect on a certain number of people. And so it gets qualified. They all have side effects. Uh, but in terms of the actual uh, process, they have no idea. <laughs> they, they just throw a bunch of chemicals at you and it does, it causes your body to react in certain ways. And if a certain number of people react to, certain way then um uh, they, then it gets approved for use as long as it has you know uh, limited side effects or at least you know that's what we're told uh but uh almost none of them do they know the actual function how it works and that's almost every single pharmaceutical compound that's made today yeah the mechanism of action is not really fully understood in yep. many of these things but they do know it does work to a certain degree but they can't say exactly I how or why, yeah. Exactly. Right. Um, if I just, I wanted to bring up before, um, I suppose a turn away from some of the press and stuff is something positive, um, is uh, the tune and fork therapy. Now, I don't have the tune and fork, so I can't really afford to uh, spend on that, especially with delivery costs to the UK. But um, Carla Adams, who was on, I think she's been on Crow twice now, right, Jason? Yeah. Is it twice yep. she's been on? Yeah, yep. Carla Adams. Um, she has, uh, of course, a website, ancestralriver.com. And um, if you sign up, she sends a free audio from, if you sign up to the newsletter, she'll send a, a free And she also has a YouTube channel um, called Ancestral River. And she has an upload there. And I've been listening to them. And this links into the frequent, of course, links into the frequency ideas. Um, but uh, one thing I've noticed, I don't know if anyone else, uh, like anyone here, in, even in live chat, has listened to any of Carla Adams' stuff, but um, me personally, um, it puts me out. Like, I, um, I'll i listen to it when I go to bed, so I can um, just sort of meditate on it, I guess. And for some reason, it puts me out, but it's not like it puts me to sleep, because as soon as the audio finishes, it's like I switch back on conscious again like not unconscious i switch back to consciousness again it's like i go into like just a you know like a power saving mode <laughs> and then as soon as the audio ends i click back into consciousness and it's, it's a strange thing that happens about halfway through both of the audios that i have of hers with the tune and forks and it's not um something that i sort of predicted would happen or you know like a self-fulfilling prophecy or placebo or anything like that this is something i initially when i was approaching i thought i don't see how this could work over headphones in a uh, if you're not in the room with the person with the frequency and so i just decided to listen to it with a bit of um say cynicism and the first time i listened to it it shut me off and then the audio clicked you know when you hear the hiss and the audio clicks off and I was conscious again, but I hadn't been asleep at all, but I couldn't remember the entire half hour. Interesting. 
<laughs> I don't know if anyone else has had that. And what was the source material again? What were you listening to? This is Carla Adams, who's been on Crow Triple Seven Radio. So it was her. It was the, stream, the stream that she was on, and you just um, well, out. she uploads. Uh, she has a YouTube channel called Ancestral River, um, which has one upload so far, which is about an hour long. And then also, if you sign up to her newsletter on the website ancestralriver.com, um, I think she's still doing this, but she sends a free audio, which is half an hour long. And back when Carla was on Crow Triple Seven, um, I emailed I or I signed up and I received the audio. And that's when I was a bit cynical about it, but I wanted to know because I like to do things firsthand so I know personally. And that very night I listened to it and I was kind of cynical about it. But then for half an hour, I can't remember what happened the half an hour I listened to it. <laughs> Interesting <laughs> stuff, yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Because I recall, and it's happened each time. <laughs> I recall um, just about um, about the same time uh, that I was um, researching the nature of the geometry of the Earth and, <laughs> and became a geometric agnostic, and that would have been uh, about the right at the close of 2014, about October through November of 2014. Uh, but I had an experience where, in which I was had the radio on, which I very rarely listen to the radio, uh, and uh, an advertisement came on. And um, then suddenly, who knows how long later, I suddenly snapped to and realized that I'd been out for some period of time, just completely spaced out of it. I had this really intense feeling like something had triggered uh, there was something embedded in what I was listening to that had caused it, and it shook me up really bad. I told my wife about it at the time, and I haven't had anything since then, but it, it did um, make me start looking more into uh, the idea of trigger mechanisms, and then when I began to see it uh, in people, um, specifically when um, addressing uh, ideas, presenting ideas that, that are perhaps unusual or outside of their uh, the beaten path, and watching them uh, all behave in a similar um, manner, uh, to one another, uh, that seemed very inorganic and unusual. And I started to come mm. up with this idea that it was a, a trigger mechanism, right? That people were becoming triggered in certain ways uh, when presented, when, when cognitive dissonance kicked in, uh, it would like set a trap and set it right off. Uh, and so I began looking closer. And this is actually kind of going all the way back to, um, you know, this is some of the, the basis of, about which I started researching uh, what I now call the Awakening Project, right? It was like why some people break out of it and some don't, uh, because it does absolutely seem uh, as though it is a kind of hypnosis. It is a sort of spell uh, that people are under. They are not thinking. They are simply going along with a program. And anything that um, uh, begins to challenge that uh, causes a, a mechanism to kick in that they seem to be pre-programmed with that uh, gets them right back on track. It's a sort of self-censorship. Uh, and um, high emotional um, uh, involvement is part of it. They get instantly very triggered and very angry. And I see the same thing with what we would call mask holes. Um, they instantly elevate um, something is triggering them and um, how the mechanism exactly, I'm not sure, but I, I would suspect that, you know, television, uh, <laughs> media is probably largely responsible for it, um, especially since I don't consume any of it anymore. But uh, we should we should write, rewrite that old song. There's a fear in my beer. The fear in my beer. What was um, beer bug in uh, English again from Latin to English? I won't say the actual name of the beer bug because censorship, but what was the actual translation from Latin to English? Who, who are you addressing? What are we talking about? Uh, anyway, um, you were just saying about uh, the beer bug. 
uh, or well, I won't name it, but uh, from Latin to English, it means uh, crown, poison, oh, poison right. the crown, poison the and crown. And mm-hmm. when you relate it to what we're talking about here in the <clears throat> documents as well, that so uh, yeah, a mind about the tie-in. Did, did, <laughs> did you guys? Did I show you what Google Translate was doing? Yes, going back. Yeah, quarantine thing. Unreal. Yeah, yes. didn't we do oh, that? Oh, uh, we did that somewhere. We discussed it somewhere. Martin's we did channel. do that, didn't we? Yeah, I can't yeah. remember. You sent it to me, on and Beth then, uh, and I don't remember where. Maybe I put it on the website. I know I did something with it because I want people to see it before they change the algorithm again. I wonder if it's still doing it. Does anyone remember what the thing was? Yeah, it was just quarantine to to Latin and back. All right, everybody, do it right now. Go to Google Translate. <laughs> All right. Let's just see. Let's see if it's still making the announcement. Google Translate. You put in quarantine. Oops. Oh, you got to go to the page. Go to Google Translate. Yeah, yeah. Page. Go on the actual page. Yeah. So you go to quarantine, and you go to. Mine's already on English and Latin. Bit weird. Uh, mine's not. I got to go find Latin. So J K L Latin. Okay. And then you go back, and then okay. you go back. Ooh. Forty. Mine's, mine's 40. changed. Yeah. Let me try it again. They changed 40. it to forty. Yeah. And it's not changing. Why forty? That doesn't make sense either. Does it? That, well, that proves oh, to you this first. was going on all over the world, and now yeah. they've changed it. Yep. Yeah. Yep, they, they they're messing with it. Time. So this might be significant too. Forty what? What are we talking about now? <laughs> well, it used to be quarantine was forty meant forty days, isol forty days of isolation. That's what oh. it basically meant. Oh, so this is uh, actual. It's literal definition then. A literal definition. Uh, so it comes back to quadragnita, whatever. But uh, the, originally, quarantine was forty days of isolation. That's what it meant. Um, so that's that's <laughs> what it was supposed to be. Is you were supposed to spend forty days apart. Um, and forty but, nights. Yeah, that that does invoke that esoteric idea of 40 days and 40 nights as well. Sure, he sure does. Uh, But yeah, it had turned all sorts of crazy stuff going back and forth. And I see that happen fairly frequently with um, phrases, right? If you put it in and then go back and forth, it continually modulates and change. Uh, And so it wasn't a surprise that it was doing that. What was a surprise is how it came out. (laughs) (laughs) Right. been weird that it's not changing, right? It's just going back and forth between uh, 40 and the quadragnita or whatever. Um, so I'm sure I'm butchering that. But it's, yeah, but just the fact that that's changed tells you something, doesn't it? Absolutely. There must have been some conscientious code writer somewhere. Yeah, I don't know. Because I can't that's imagine wrong. that's revelation of method. So, all right, guys, so we're, we're definitely there. Let's talk about what everybody's got coming up. Baldini? Um, let's see. Tomorrow morning, uh, a bit more cocky pop until we figure out a scheduling uh, thing. I know that uh, Rose has been overloaded trying to keep up with you guys doing two, two a week. Just a bit. <laughs> Crazy. 
crazy people. Um, yeah, messing up our group. No, anyway, uh, I'll continue doing that probably with uh, Karen B as long as she uh, agrees to show up. And then I, I'm trying to get a schedule change uh, so that we can uh, get get the band back together. Uh, and then, uh, of course, on the weekend, I do Unintended Consequences Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. on my channel. Uh, and that's Pacific Time, UTC minus 7. And then Sunday, two streams, 7 a.m., uh, Ancient Wisdom for a Modern World. Uh, and then uh, in the evening, 5 p.m., uh, every other week, semi-weekly, is with our very own Wayne McCroy with Sola Scriptura. And then the opposite weeks, uh, the alternating weeks, are sort of scriptural. <laughs> uh, so catch those streams, and they always have a little noodling in front of them, which is just a, a bit of improvisation, uh, extemporaneous keyboard playing. Uh, and so we have a good time with the uh, with the folks there. So all the usual suspects show up. Uh, come and join us. You'll have fun. Cool. Wayne, what you got? Uh only thing I got going is I, I just posted uh, yesterday, I think it was, uh, the conclusion of the Unseen Forces series I was doing on my channel, going over the book by the same name by Manly P. Hall. So that's up there now for people to look at. Uh, I was just uh, on uh, The Infinite Fringe with Billy Ray Valentine as well. That's out there. And I did a show called Night Flight, uh, which is a channel over on YouTube, uh, headed up by Judith Quoba. I did an interview with her just a couple weeks ago, and that's up and posted right now. Uh, don't have anything else going on this week, so uh, I'll be on with Baldini on Sunday for Sola Scriptura, and then back here next Wednesday night. Mark, thank you for uh, for being here again. Let's give you a big thank old round of applause. <laughs> I'm sorry? Oh, no. What, what? Yeah, thank you for having me again. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And uh, let's give you a big old round of applause because it's like 4-something a.m. <laughs> where you're at. Woohoo. Well done, you. <laughs> Do you, you have anything you want to talk about that you're doing, though? Uh, the next thing I'm doing is uh, sleep. Sleeping. <laughs> well done. And, and duly earned. I'm a big fan. <laughs> I'm a big fan as well. Yeah. Well, yeah, I should and point then I'll it be out. up for the poppycock report, presumably. Last week, I just oh, not last week, the week before. Whenever I was last um, on with you guys, I woke up the next day and it was like 2 p.m. <laughs> here, which is exactly what time the poppycock report starts. Yeah. So I just got in there. Next. <laughs> well, I was going to say, in, in this current era, the only freedom you're going to see is when you're dreaming. So. There's something to be said. Yeah, for. I do a lot of lucid dreaming. Is something I've done since I was a child, and um, I never realized that it was a different thing. I always just assumed that's how everybody dreams. And then it's only when I was an adult, because you don't really speak to people about dreaming too much in today's society, I suppose. And um, as soon as I did, and I realized I was doing something different, I was like, uh oh. <laughs> Remember what <laughs> I said about uh, hair and eye color? Well, yeah. There's something to. I mean color and vibration what's red hair all about and green eyes <laughs> yeah, mark got really deep into that topic too is uh with the red hair and uh genealogy oh, yeah. and uh, the gaelic Love language and going back yeah. into language we've had uh, great conversations he's a again a yeah. bright guy with diverse interests so uh i loves suppose that is the next thing for, for me probably uh if baldini doesn't mind me saying this but i think at some point baldini um suggested I go on his channel and run through some of my thought experiments that I've sent to him regarding you know, the Gaelic language and connections to culture and heritage and 
everything going on there. There seems to be correlation. Fascinating stuff, man. There is correlation all over. I mean, you know, correlation not necessarily causation, but man, it is some fascinating stuff. And it mm -hmm. does appear again like they've uh, both embedded things in the language and intentionally hid it from us. So, yeah. Ooh, which they, reminds they tried me. to outlaw <laughs> anything they tried to outlaw must have oh, value, yeah, they right? Did. Felix, one well, of those things. Uh, I've just remembered last time you asked me what's crow in Gaelic, and I found out afterwards it's Prayakon. <laughs> how, how do you spell it? Uh, P R E A C H O N. Is it O N or A N? Uh, the letter, yeah, Prayakon. Like uh, preach like pray. Preach on. Preach on. Yeah, the letter E that. has a grave marking over it. Um, I'll put it in this uh, Skype chat that we're in now. If you, you I'll put it back in again so you don't have to scroll back too far. Um, but yeah, I found that out. And another thing you mentioned before was spirits. I just remembered now uh, the Irish Gaelic translation is, um, I, I can't remember the, the first word, but the second word is ishka, which means water. And... Um, what it uh, the the first word translates into English as breath, so the descriptor comes second, so it means breath water or water breath breath water, breath. so breathe water, so breath is spirit spirit water. Yes, wow, this wow. Is Gaelic. Man, this is awesome. <laughs> oh, another one. Some of those those old Gaelic crow images they used to carve into stone. Uh, there's one more um, that I learned the other day because I'm up to the part I'm up to in some of the lessons I'm teaching myself is uh, descriptive, like how to describe something. So if you're describing something as true, the translation of true <laughs> is fear. Wow. Wow. F-I-O-R, but it's pronounced identically to F-E-A-R in English. Fear wow. is true. <laughs> Mark, okay, do you have I mean, a uh, you, before you I forget web website or YouTube channel? People are asking. Um, I mean, I, I guess I technically have a YouTube channel, but I don't have anything uploaded to. I noticed a few people did subscribe <laughs> after the last one, and were probably disappointed thereafter. But uh, I think for now, it'll mostly be here. If you're you're still welcome, want to welcome me here, and also on Baldini's channel, that is a um, my first public speaking was on Baldini's channel which was episode 30 I think. It should be called The Maker's Mark or something like that. I think that is true. In fact, I will um, see if I can find it real quick and drop that in the, in the I don't chat. have Rose's memory, so <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't which one it was either, so you did actually better than, better than I did. Uh, I'll see if I can find that in the playlist here. And let's see. The conversation I had with Baldini was to do with the his awakening project because that's how I initially got in contact with Baldini was sending him my details for the awakening project and then the way I properly introduced myself was through this document that we ran through tonight um, and so the, the first time Baldini invited me on to his podcast was uh, sort of going through how I woke up basically the awakening project like mm -hmm. how that happened and then we went into a little bit of what i was taught at university i think yep the semiotics yeah bit of that yeah then, then we got into the this document 
um, just really kind of touched on it and uh, used that as a kind of a point to jumping off point. And then he did a conversation with Red Fox as well, just specific to that uh, to that topic. But um, yeah, again, just a, a lot of uh, great work that Mark puts out in terms of thought experiments. And um, like myself, he's interested in so many different topics. It's <laughs> it would go in circuitous routes, right? But I, that's where I think um, a lot of the good stuff is, right? Is the interdisciplinary yeah. route. And when you um, see how many things are connected and the way that they're connected, um, it really opens your mind to see that it is connected. And that's part, I think, one of the things that they tried to steal from us is the fact that it mm. is i also can't do what other people do with the some people look into really dark subjects and uh, like i can deconstruct things with semiotics rhetoric and aesthetics the methodology i've been taught i can deconstruct things but i've just found recently that doing that is kind of like i'm not creating anything and i like to create so this is where my thought experiment experiments I actually emailed uh billing tarno who might be in the live chat saying that I was going to try and lay off the thought experiments for a little while and go back to um, fictional writing for a little bit because that's how I taught myself grammar and writing after I finished university. I should have done it before I finished university. But, um, yeah, I decided I'm going to go back to some fictional writing for a little while just to create because, yeah, it drains a bit. It's a bit like I still utilize semiotics for my fictional writing to try and uh, I like encode and things in there but something good so when i'm sat there all day looking through all these books and texts and it's fascinating but like deconstructing things uh, eventually it starts to just kind of you start seeing how kind of the the ugly side of uh, the realm we are in (laughs) you gotta create something but even if you're deconstructing like the way we do it when we're creating a show which isn't all the way satisfying. That's why we have the episode images. That's really the yeah. only time I get to create regularly. <clears throat> Although I could be playing my instruments more, but unfortunately, since I got the dog, there's been a lot less of that. But maybe yeah, I'll pick I'll it up. Play guitar in about a year since I started doing this. Yeah, you, you got to make something. You got to create something, whatever it is you're into. And you know, we are having. Uh, I'm doing a little jam session there at the Solar Return. So if you if you got a wild hair up your butt and a little leftover cocaine, bring that uh, mandolin down. <laughs> I wish. Uh, I do too, man. That would be a gas. I'm, I'm kind of stuck in the in the. You know, I got to do the long run here right now. So if I start swimming now, I might make it to you for that uh, that meetup. You might. You might. You might. <laughs> Ride an iceberg. <laughs> All right, Crow, uh, we've got a big one coming up this Thursday. Well, tonight, I guess. We're tonight, gonna... actually, I'm going to, when we get off this, I'm going to put it out. Yeah, um, so so this is this is a big deal, what, what happened here. This is somebody from Northern Europe who reached out to us who actually went through the trouble of trying to chase down all of the documents of his birth. All of them. Like, all of them, right. <laughs> and it was quite unbelievable, really. Uh, I don't know how much we want to want to let out here, but I mean, as he was going through it, it was just like, holy shit. (laughs) Yeah, he he you know, if you look at some of the seminal contributions um, in the terms of personhood and these things, I would put Kallenbach at the top of the seminal contributions for the simple reason that what Kallenbach laid down changed everything. If you're a thinking person um, reminding everyone that you don't gain life at the birth canal, that you've had it for a long time before that, since the zygote. But our guest today, uh, his name's Swede 
generis, which is actually a legal Latin term <laughs> you could look up, but um, he got every single freaking document. And by the way, he's in a Protestant country. And so all the church involvement is Protestant, proving that there's no separation between the brands because the same thing happens to him that happens to everybody. And it was a completely Protestant country that it happened in. Um, but he uncovers some things because he gets every document, including these things that they have in his country that's probably not common here, called the, what was it, Jason, the birth room notes or something like that? Something like that, yeah. Some, something like that. Yeah, the, the, the description of stuff. Him, right. It allows him to reconstruct the timeline and show where every document goes. And during the course of it, he adds a few things I don't think people are commonly aware of. Other people like KL, uh, seminal, because they're standing up to forge a door out of the system where people can still exist and go to a 7-Eleven if they need to. Um, there have been a few people. I can't list them all off the top of my head, but this one adds to the conversation, and it's indisputable. He's got the, the documents. They're all certified. They're all legal beagle, if you give a damn about that kind of thing, and then Logic puts the rest of it together in an organized timeline, so it's quite a thing. Yep, and of course, uh, let's just make sure we get this really stressed out there that uh, both Baldini and myself will be at the Solar Return Festival that our friend Karen B. is putting on. So, uh, Karen, if you're still here and you want to drop the link, if not, uh, we'll, we'll keep talking about it. It's on March 27th in Greenville, South Carolina. I'll be playing a full acoustic set of my original material. Uh, Baldini, I'm not entirely sur certain what you are going to be doing because uh, you're asking for all these different instruments. So I think it, it, it must be something interesting. Well, um, you know, I'm going to do uh, some, you know, noodling of my own, but I just set up a jam session. Uh, so I got uh, people who are interested who are coming to um, the Solar Return Festival. If you play an instrument and you're interested in sitting in for a little jam session, uh, we certainly, we've got a, a, a drummer or two going to sit in, a guitar player, bass player. We're trying to gather uh, different parts and pieces and just kind of do a regular old good time, hoedown, hootenanny jam session. <laughs> uh, and so if you're interested in that, send me an email on intended.consequences3 at gmail dot com uh, and we'll try to get you hooked up with that um, so we can uh, kind of rotate around and get people to sit in and just just jam uh, it should be pretty straightforward um, you know I told uh, a couple of folks we're not really uh, I'm not planning on you know having everybody, everybody work up songs or anything just take the pressure off we'll just do some uh, basic progressions uh, that we can just kind of set forth and everybody's comfortable with and just kind of lay it out and go jam it'll be like a dead ahead jam session uh, so it's going to be uh, a good time for sure awesome all right well that's going to do it guys we're we did a good show today, I think. Quite an interesting topic. Everyone seemed to dig it. So uh, there's there's our, our second music show, and well, I'm sure there'll be a lot more. Let me get this back up in. All right, that's going to do it. Everybody have a great night, and we'll see you soon.
Oh, too soon.